With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is all your fault. You. You did this. You don't watch Raw and SmackDown anymore. Do you know what happens when you don't watch Raw and SmackDown? The numbers go down. The same numbers that people say, oh, they don't matter anymore. The numbers don't matter. Yeah, those numbers. They go down. And they're so unimportant that Vince McMahon sees the need to shake things up. And how does he do that? With Fight Club and a ninja NWO with chainsaws. This is on you. And Marty Jannetty may have killed a man. It's business time, baby. You are listening to Solo Monster Sounds Off. It's such good shit. Mama Monster. Conquered the street. I like fighting a woman. What is with this company's obsession with ninjas? Oh my God, we're only an hour in. We have two more hours of this. Come over here and threaten me. Too many ninjas. You haven't been beat up properly. Who writes this stuff? Bruce? I see that Chris Jericho decided to do a concert, a Fozzie concert, at the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, South Dakota. 250,000 bikers descending upon South Dakota. And he decides to have what I believe was an indoor concert. Big concert here during this pandemic by Fozzie. Meanwhile, the guy has a match on Dynamite this week against Orange Cassidy. You know, I like Jericho. I'm entertained by Jericho. Not the brightest bulb in the box. Wrestle votes. He was first to report that when WWE begins to uh, wind down its tapings in the next week or so, they don't have any more tapings on the docket. And that's because they are soon going to return to airing Raw and SmackDown live each week, starting with the go home SmackDown show before SummerSlam. The show will once again be live, as will the August 24th post-SummerSlam episode of Monday Night Raw. Speaking of which, SummerSlam is looking like it's very likely going to be held in Atlantic City. Atlantic City, New Jersey, the site of WrestleManias 4 and 5. Now, those were held at the Trump Plaza Casino, the Trump Plaza, I guess, Hotel and Casino, which shut down about six years ago. So no word on if this is going to be held outdoors or have fans in attendance, but if they don't make an announcement soon about the location, then you know they're not selling tickets because they'd already be on sale. I'm all for getting out of the Performance Center, if there's a safe way to do so. If there isn't, then they may as well just stay in Florida. Don't don't come on up this way. But I would like to see it held outdoors. You know, you always have the weather issue if it rains, even in the summer. You know, it's not just a... An issue at WrestleMania, some places they go, oh, is it going to be snow? Is it going to be cold? Now, we've had a very up and down summer here on the East Coast. Some some wicked storms, you know, a lot of hot 95 degree days. Then they get broken by these massive thunderstorms. So the weather is always going to be an issue. But an outdoor SummerSlam show, let's say on the beach or by the beach, beach in the background, that would be cool. That would be for a, That would make for a cool atmosphere. You know, sound travels up. When you're outdoors with these outdoor shows. But if there's no people there, then it's not really an issue. 
Maybe a, a giant sea creature will pop up out of the ocean and, and wipe out the little runt army that we saw at the end of SmackDown this week. Gonna have a lot of thoughts on that. AudibleTrial.com slash Salamonster. That is the URL to use if you want to cash in and get your free audiobook. Courtesy of the podcast. A lot of people have been cashing in on wrestling books. A couple people got some non-wrestling books. The link still works if you have not used it. And, and maybe if you have, maybe it's been a while, you might be able to cash in a second time. So audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. Every time you use that link, you help out the podcast. So I thank you. And if you want to make a PayPal donation, you may do so on the Solomonster at gmail.com or uh, at, <laughs> I'm giving you my email address. You could PayPal the email address, but you can go to the Solomonster.com. You'll see the PayPal button on the right-hand side of the page. And uh, $10 or more will get you a nickname and a shout-out. I want to shout-out Nick. Nick bought eight sound-off shirts during the Pro Wrestling Tea Sale this week. They had a very they had like a flash sale for 48 hours. I mentioned it during the Dynamite stream on Wednesday. And uh, about 20% off all shirts in the store. Nick went out there. He bought eight shirts, which is insane. But I thank him for that. You don't have to buy eight shirts. All you need is one. All you need is one. And actually... We're working up a, a new design. It's been a while since I've had a new shirt design go up. And we are heading into the 13-year anniversary in uh, just a couple of months or three months or so. So I'm uh, very excited about the new design that's going to be going up in the very near future. But that is the place to go if you want to get a shirt. Thank you to the Portland pop star Paul Hamilton, John Loose Cannon Lopez for all of their support, as well as Deadpool James Herrera. The Florida Freebird, Brian Becerra, Out of Control, Cody Thomas, Beast Mode, Brock Joseph, Velvet Revolver, Robert Murray, The Chicago Slayer, Willie Eicher, The Moldovan Masochist, Alexandru Mata, Stephen Handyman Hallistick, Josh the Shooter Stockton, The Diamond Dallas Dance Machine, Harrison Soep, Killshot Keith Hart, Hi, I'm Chris Evans. Project Zero Mortals, Wayne Ashanti, FGC Hitman, Christian Reyes, The Venom Johnny Rue, John Raging Mad Riffle, Ostentatious Alan Carter, Nitrous Oxide Nathan Cania, New York Punk Arnold Modesto, The Redneck Rookie, Edward Valenzuela, The Guardian Angel, Jacob Donnelly, Total Debacle, Nathan Johnson, Night Stalker, Naif Al-Safar, and The Firebomber. Craig Foster, first-time donator. Maybe he was uh, one of the men who firebombed that generator on Monday night. I sure hope not. I sure hope not. I think Craig is uh, at least six feet tall. And uh, on iTunes, thank you to uh, Ahoda88 for the five stars and the love on there. In a bizarre turn of events, The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, is now part owner of the XFL along with his ex-wife and business partner Danny Garcia and a private equity firm, Redbird Capital. The cost? Just $15 million. Split evenly amongst the three of them. Vince McMahon lost a lot more than that before he folded the league earlier this year after just five weeks of play, largely due to the pandemic. I mean, they had other issues going on as well. People by and large seem to enjoy the product this time around. Uh, but that doesn't mean there weren't, uh, you know, the numbers weren't lagging and uh, wasn't doing great. But the pandemic pretty much killed it dead. It was said to be Garcia's idea, 
as she was a big fan of the league. And I saw a note also in the Observer this week that she was apparently upset with all of the media stories once the news broke and the press release was put out that it all focused on The Rock. The Rock bought into a football league, even though she put in the same amount of money that he did, and she owns an equal stake. But I mean, yeah, I, I, I read that and I say to myself, it's The Rock. You know, I mean, she had to know that was going to be the story here. He's the biggest star in Hollywood. He's one of the biggest stars in the world. But it does make her the first woman to own a major sports league. Uh, The announcement came hours before a scheduled auction for the rights to the name. I guess nobody else put a bid in for it, which is kind of telling. Nobody else bid on the XFL. And so The Rock and his partners got together and they put a bid in and they were able to snatch it up. Now, the same day as the announcement... All of the creditors, all of the uh, unsecured creditors who were still owed money by the league, who were basically screwed over by McMahon, filed a motion to stop the sale, feeling the assets were being sold at a value lower than it may have been worth, and they were worried that they weren't going to see anything uh, from the sale, you know, for, for their investment and the money they put into it, that they weren't going to see anything back. Uh, By the end of the week, a judge had ruled in favor of the sale moving ahead. There was a modified agreement, I guess, that satisfied these creditors. Everybody's happy now. So either on or shortly after August 21st, The Rock will officially own his own sports league. One that failed two different times under his former boss. Uh, So they're hoping, I guess, a third time's a charm. You know what? For the $5 million that it cost him, right? If it's split evenly, it cost The Rock $5 million to buy the XFL. In the off chance that they could get some kind of good-paying TV deal for the league, let's say next year, it's probably worth a shot. It's probably worth a shot. You know, Rock probably has that much money fall out of his pocket when he's working out at the gym. And that's their plan, apparently, to give it another go sometime in, in 2021. They're going to they're gonna try one more time to resuscitate the league. They have other ideas as well, maybe some reality TV programming around it, like the Hard knock stuff from HBO. I mean, Rock's a Hollywood guy, right? So they're going to Hollywood it up, but they're going to give it the old college try. The XFL, you know, it's quickly turning into the TNA of football. What impact is to the wrestling business, the XFL is to football. It simply will not die. It is like that cockroach that simply will not die. A nuclear blast could wipe everybody else out. And Impact would still be there, and so would the XFL. Imagine if the two of them merged. Imagine if they fused together, they would be unstoppable. (laughs) It just, you know, the XFL, it lay dormant for 20 years, and then a bolt of lightning struck it and brought it back to life like Jason in Friday the 13th Part 6. So this this private equity firm, Redbird, manages over $4 billion in assets. The Rock, his net worth is listed at $320 million. Uh, Garcia's is said to be around $20 million. It doesn't sound like it would be too hard for them to at least make their investment back. Uh, whether or not that means the league will be a success is a different story. Rock has a lot of star power, obviously, but that doesn't mean this thing is going to be a, a giant success. I don't care how popular The Rock is. It's not going to be an easy thing to get enough people to care about it where it's financially worthwhile for them. 
especially since the story seems to suggest they're not willing to lose money on it the way that Vince McMahon was. Vince McMahon, from the very beginning of the second effort, said he understood that it was going to take a few years, he was going to lose, he was ready to lose hundreds of millions of dollars. A lot of that being his own money that he put into this thing. And supposedly these three are not willing to wait it out and lose that kind of money. So it's going to be tougher. The XFL was going to lose money for years. So if they're not willing to absorb the losses of starting up a sports league, then this thing is going to wind up being a worthless IP grab for them in the end. You know, they'll have the names, they'll have the logos, and they're not going to have much else. But the longer, you know, that this pandemic goes on for, even without, you know, fans in the stands, the other the other side of this is, you know, I would think that you're going to have sports networks and cable channels that are hungry for content, that are hungry for sports content, right? It's all about TV deals, as is the case with everything. The XFL had great clearances on major networks, but they weren't getting paid. <laughs> it's like a, you know, it was like a, it's like a paid airtime, but they were hoping that over time, you know, after a couple of years, they'd be a proven commodity, and then they could turn around and actually get big money off TV contracts, having proven themselves. That was kind of the idea uh, behind it. But then Vince pulled the plug after five weeks. Now, if they can't get TV, then this thing's going to end up back in the dustbin of history. Now, XFL seemed like it was more competently run the second time around. A lot of people seemed to enjoy it. So you know what? If they could pick up where they left off for that kind of investment, why not? And then there's Marty Janetti. No story that begins with those five words is going to end well. Marty Jannetty is going to go down as one of the sadder stories of a guy who had a ton of talent but could not keep his shit together. Someone who loved the party life on the road, he loved everything that came along with it, the booze, the women, the drugs, especially the women and the drugs. It looks like he still does. If you follow him on Facebook, if you see any of these posts, you hear the stories... He's still that guy. He was a great wrestler, though. And as talented as he was to to show you exactly how sad of a story he truly is, the three things that Marty Jannetty will most be remembered for is being thrown through a window, going on Facebook and asking people for advice on whether he should have sex with a girl he thought was his daughter, But the DNA test said she wasn't, and then he later claimed that he lost his phone, and he didn't post that, and somebody hacked it and wrote it for him. He's full of shit. And the third thing that he will forever be known for when they write this man's obituary, he'll be remembered as the wrestler who murdered a man, he says, tried to molest him outside of a bowling alley when he was 13 years old. Which... If that's true, that, you know, someone did try to do that to him or or did that to him, that's a horrible thing. But this is Marty Jannetty. He loves to tell stories. And some wild, far-out stories. It's hard to know if it's the drugs talking or if he's actually telling the truth. And short of finding human remains, we may never know for sure. What we do know is that the police in Georgia, where Janetti claims the incident took place, uh, are now looking into it. 
The first step, they say, is to see if there are any reports of missing persons from that time period. Uh, But they also have a lot of uh, other investigations going on right now, and they said that right now this is not a priority for them. Now, here is the post. Here's the Facebook post that Marty Jannetty decided to randomly wake up and write this past week that ended up sparking a uh, police statement and possibly a police investigation. This is what he wrote. I never told no one this, even my brother Gino, because Gino would have killed him and I didn't want my brother gone. He, He had only recently come home from Vietnam. I was 13 working at Victory Lane's bowling alley buying weed from a gay man. Uh, that worked there, and that's not the word he used. That's not that's not what he said. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave that up to your imagination. And he put his hands on me. He dragged me around to the back of the building. You already know what he was going to try to do. That was the very first time I made a man disappear. They never found him. They should look in the Chattahoochee River. But Winnie, the girl in these photos, I like you so damn much. Probably my favorite... But I promised myself way back then nobody would ever hurt me again. That includes you. I loved you, but you hurt me with your effing Jamaican jealousy. You can go your own way. I don't need you. You might say that she was Jamaican him crazy. Anyway. But he included photos of a woman who I guess was either his girlfriend or his fling or he thought was his girlfriend. Who, Who knows? Who knows and who cares? I will say it was a little off-putting, though. The fact that he wakes up one day and tells this story where he claims to have murdered somebody and then ties it back into this woman who I guess he feels betrayed him or offended him in some way or let him down. This was, I think this was less a post about telling people, oh, by the way, I was was molested and then I, I killed a man. I think it was less a matter of that and more a matter of trying to intimidate this woman. That, to me, was one of the more off-putting things about this post. Clearly, he was telling that story to try to scare this woman, and hopefully this woman can get far, far away from him, because that uh, that does not sound good. But he deleted the post shortly thereafter. It started spreading, though, like wildfire, and it made headline news. It made national headline news all over the country, all over the world, on some websites. Uh, The next day, he tried to clarify things on Boston Wrestling's YouTube channel. He says that when he was 13, he worked at the bowling alley and the front desk clerk attempted to sexually assault him. He said that he knew the man sold weed, which is why he went to see him in the first place, but he didn't know that he lured children. He claimed the man fondled him inside of his car, and when he tried to get out, the man got angry. He says the guy pulled him out of the car, Marty had his pants pulled down, And he reached for a nearby brick that was on the ground. And he grabbed the brick and he struck the guy. And he said the guy didn't deserve to die, but he did deserve to get his ass beaten. He says that he didn't intend for the guy to die. He said the trauma of nearly being uh, raped and killing someone and then throwing their body into the river... And then finding out on the news that the man was missing, all of this, he says, affected him badly. Now, if Gennetti is to be believed, he would have been 13 years old in 1973. So that's the year that this would have happened. There are no unsolved murders in the state listed online before the year 1980. 
So right now it's impossible for us to know if he's telling the truth. That's going to be on on the police to check their own records and see if there's any reports at all. And he claimed that he he remembers there being news reports of a missing person. Well, if that's the case, then there would be a record of that. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I can't imagine it would be very hard for the police to check. Maybe we can't, but they should be able to. But it doesn't sound like it's too much of a priority right now because I don't know that they think uh, that this is necessarily a legitimate confession. But, you know, I hear this story and, and it made me think of Scott Hall. Scott Hall is another name that's been associated with drinking, being destructive to himself throughout his career. Talented guy, but man, just one fuck up after another, right? And and arrests and all this stuff. People trying to get him help in and out of rehab maybe a dozen times, right? We've, We've heard these stories about him as well. And he traces it back to the night that he shot a man to death outside of a bar in a fight over a girl... He claims the guy pulled a 45 caliber on him, he wrestled it away from him, and he shot him in the head at point-blank range and killed him. And he was charged with a crime. We know it happened because he was charged with second-degree murder and the charges were dropped because of a lack of evidence against him. This is what he talked about on his ESPN 30 for 30 special. And he said he should have sought counseling after the incident, but he didn't. And it messed him up for the rest of his life. Sounds like Gennetti is maybe trying to explain why he is the way he is because of this traumatic event from his his childhood. You know, the Scott Hall story, which is just his side of the story, by the way, although we, we know apparently he did kill someone, but this is his version of how it all went down. Uh, that's a sad story. You know, that here's this young guy who was just, he claims he was just defending himself and doesn't know any better than to get help and just sort of buries it. He he just buries it deep within, hoping to just forget about it. It's sad. It's a sad story. A lot of people repress things like that and it comes back to haunt them later in their life or it just haunts them throughout their entire life and it leads to destructive behavior. Now, who who knows, right? Who knows why Scott Hall did the things he did and does the things he does, but... That's a sad story. When he told that story, I remember thinking, man, that's sad. And I ho- I really hope that Gennetti is not just making this up for attention. But it is possible that, you know, he's just telling tall tales. Right now, we just don't know for sure. But color me skeptical. Color me skeptical 
not not even necessarily that he may have been assaulted or somebody tried to assault him, but that, you know, he killed the guy with a brick and he dragged the body into the river. You know, this 13-year-old kid is going to beat somebody to death and then drag their body or carry their body to, to a lake or a river that, as far as I can tell, because I was curious if that bowling alley was even still there. I figured it probably wasn't. I mean, this was 1973. Uh, it doesn't look to me in doing a search online like the bowling alley is there. It doesn't look like it's been there for a while. I don't think it was anywhere near this uh, this this lake or this river that he mentioned. I Google mapped it. It looks like it was 10 miles away. Now, if somebody knows that area of Georgia better than uh, I do, then feel free to correct me if I'm not accurate. But yes, I am skeptical about that part of the story. In the same interview that he did with Boston Wrestling's YouTube channel, He claimed, again, he's trying to clean this up now. He claimed that he never said that he killed the guy, only that he disappeared. Now, yes, he disappeared. He did, like like a ninja. Like a ninja. WWE should sign him. Well, I guess he's dead. But WWE should sign him. I hear they love ninjas. He didn't kill him. He made him disappear. Now he's playing word games. He said he murdered somebody. That is what he said. We all know he said it. He tried to delete it. He he was hoping people wouldn't see it, but they did. He claimed that he killed a man. Plain and simple. There's no misinterpretation. You know, there's no shoddy news reporting, fake news. We know what we saw. That's what he said. I think he's nervous now that the cops, you know, said they would investigate and he regrets putting that post up. What he should regret is trying to intimidate this woman, which is clearly what he was trying to do. So now he's doing damage control. Janetti's whole life has been nothing but damage control. If he ever writes a book, the title could be Damage Control, the Marty Janetti story. It's also, you know, troubling to hear him say that it was the very first time. Let's not overlook that, (laughs) because words matter. And the words he chose to use was that this was the very first time I made somebody disappear, implying that there was a second time, and maybe a third, and a fourth. I think Marty Jannetty needs to stop giving interviews and that hacker that supposedly stole his phone and hacked into his phone and put the post up about his his would-be daughter a few years ago. We need that hacker to hack back into his account and change his password because it is clearly not doing him any good. But more than anything, I come back to the word sad. I come back to the word sad when I think of Marty Jannetty. He is a sad case of what happens when wrestling is all that you know. He is Randy the Ram, only less charismatic. He is Randy the Ram, only less successful. He is a real-life example of Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. Wrestling is all that he has ever known. He doesn't have anything else. He's not married. He has no kids. That he knows about. And the one that he thought he had. He wanted to have sex with. Once he found out that she wasn't his. He's got a broken down body. And a mangled ankle. If you've ever seen photos of it. I have no idea how he can even stand up straight. Bushwhacker Luke. Once uh, tried to, to get him some help from DDP. But he bailed on him. And look, and about the DDP thing, because I've heard people say that too. Why can't you? Why can't DDP help Marty Jannetty? DDP can help him. I think the thing that people forget: DDP is not a counselor. He's not a drug counselor. 
He's not he's not a professional counselor. DDP helped save Jake the Snake and Scott Hall. Scott Hall has been friends with Diamond Dallas Page going back to the early 1990s. They worked together in WCW. They're tight. They've known each other a long time. Jake the Snake was living with DDP at one point back in the mid-90s. Jake was like his mentor. They've known each other for a long time. That's how they came together. The idea that you can just put anybody in in you know DDP's crib. Well, you're not putting anybody in there right now because of COVID. But the idea that, well, you could just send anybody and everybody to DDP. That's not the way this works. And Marty Jannetty has problems far beyond just the physical ones and, and doing yoga to, to help him out. So it's not that easy. It's not that simple. He's not a miracle worker. To my knowledge, I don't know that he even has ever met Marty Jannetty. I don't even know that they have any kind of friendship or relationship. That was not the case. It was a different story with Jake and Scott. They had a very close relationship. He wanted to help save his friends. And he did. But people forget that. There was a relationship there. I don't know that there's any relationship with him and Jannetty. But Bushwhacker Luke was trying. As I'm sure a lot of wrestlers have tried over the years. He was trying and Marty bailed. And Marty bailed. You know, the way he talks, if you ever see his posts and everything, I don't know if he's just trying to be funny or what, but the way he talks about women is pathetic. Like he's still 20 years old in the prime of his career. He's a 20-year-old kid trapped in the body of a broken-down 60-year-old. He claimed last year that he went on a 60-day bender after WrestleMania. And he had sex with his sex addiction counselor. Starting to think that a lot of these stories, yeah, maybe they're not exactly true. Maybe not all of these stories are true. Take everything that this man says with a giant grain of salt. The bender, I can believe. Having sex with the sex addiction counselor, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But this is what this was last year. You know, the his posts last year when this happened, it read like a cry for help. You know, he he admitted he said he misses the days of partying and being on the road every single week. In the WWF days back then, late 80s, early 90s, they had an inhumane schedule. I look at the schedule that they have today, you know, when they are on the road full-time and the international tours and the trip to Saudi and then back and right to the next taping, and that's brutal enough. I don't think I could do that. But you think that's bad. That's nothing compared to the way it used to be back in the in the mid to late 80s. Where they had a C team, an A team, a B team, and a C team. They were running multiple shows every night. Flying these guys from, I mean, they, these guys could work a West Coast show. And then, you know, that could be the matinee. They could have an evening show all the way on the other end of the country. No wonder all those guys uh, did the things they did and medicated. And hit injuries. It's inhumane, but he he relishes it. He misses that. He was on the road all the time. Now he's not. He misses that. He says now he lives in the backwoods of Alabama and he only wrestles on some weekends. He says he's bored. He has nothing better to do. So what does he do? He goes on a bender. That's sad. And it's not as if other wrestlers have not offered to help him in the past, but he has to want to help himself. And he just can't do it. Look, WWE, they signed him to a contract. Didn't last very long, but they signed him to a contract in 2005. When they brought him back, and it was only like a cameo thing. They were building to Shawn Michaels against Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 21. 
And Kurt Angle's whole thing was, you know, anything you can do, I can do better, which is what led to the match with him and Marty on SmackDown. They had a very good match. But that same week is when they did the Rockers reunion, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty together on TV. Marty had a great week and he impressed a lot of people. He looked like the Jannetty of old. And they signed him to a contract and they were hopeful that he could be maybe like a coach for them. Yeah, he wasn't going to get like a massive push. But he was back in the good graces of WWE. He got a contract. And he screwed it up. And I think Marty Jannetty could have been a big asset to the company as a coach. I think he could be a big asset to any company in that kind of role. If he had his head on straight. Or or be the veteran that younger talents can work with and sit under the learning tree. Maybe he still can be. Look, a lot of people wrote off Jake the Snake. And he turned his life around and even got a deal with AEW. He was, you know, people used to have death pools. When you were hearing about wrestlers every other day, it, it seemed like, passing away. You don't think that Jake was near the top of that list on a lot of people? And look at him now. It seems unlikely, but never say never. You know, this is a guy who, to this day, people, when they talk about tag teams that break up, the guy who goes on to great success, oh, he's the Shawn Michaels. The guy who goes on to maybe have a marginally okay career. Or maybe they end up not going anywhere. Oh, he's the Genetti of the team. I'm sure that must eat away at him. And it's kind of shitty that people talk about him like that. But a lot of it was his own doing. You know, he would get himself into trouble and get himself into situations where he wasn't exactly a, a perfect angel. A lot of that falls on him. He's a very talented guy. Very good wrestler. Could have had a lot more good years in him. But when I hear him make comments like this, and then I see stories about, you know, benders and this and that. But Marty Jannetty will forever go down as one of the sadder cases in pro wrestling. Monday Night Raw ratings were up 6% this week. So from violently ill to mildly nauseating, 1.7 million viewers credited to the hype of Shane McMahon's return to television for the first time since last October when he lost that ladder match on SmackDown to Kevin Owens. Interesting to note, the audience grew the most during the second hour of the show, when they were hyping Shane's new concept for the 10 p.m. hour, and yet when they hit the 10 p.m. hour, the third hour fell like it always does. But it sounded like another day in paradise backstage on Monday. We had PW Insider, Fightful, The Observer, Sports Kita, all reporting from their own sources, independently, that the atmosphere backstage throughout the day was said to be chaotic. From the very top. Totally unprepared. Episodes being changed on the fly. A lack of leadership is what one source said. Another source of the two episodes being taped that night said, The shows will happen, they will air, but there is no attainable goal of quality because everything is decided under the pressure cooker of it all coming down to the very last Minute. Vince McMahon's mood was said to be volatile. My mood is pretty volatile after I watch these shows too some weeks, so that makes us even. Alex McCarthy of TalkSport, who gets a lot of WWE interviews, does uh, TalkSport. So they're obviously in the company's good graces. Even he came out and said that he had one person tell him, you would not believe the half of it. And I, I hear all of this. From all of these different sources and sites. And it is amazing to me. 
that this company is even able to get anything on the air at all. Who would want to work under these conditions? These are battlefield conditions. Who would want to work under these conditions? So because of the sagging ratings, they decided to try a couple of different things this week to give the shows more of a chaotic feel, I guess to match the chaotic atmosphere in the back. It's already chaotic in the back, so why not be chaotic on camera? They should just put a camera in the back. Problem solved. We don't need any of these these new ideas. Just put a camera. Just put cameras all over the back. Aim it right at Vince McMahon, right at the gorilla position. And just leave it for three hours. And that's the show. I think the ratings might go up. But of course, the, the fate of these new ideas that everybody's been talking about all week long... The fate of these new ideas will be told not by week one. It will be told by weeks two and three and four and five and six. That is, of course, if they even make it that far. We know how some of these new concepts go. One and done. Vince McMahon gets bored of them after a few weeks. Or the numbers don't move. And so they just drop them. Which is why it's hard for anybody to get invested in anything on this show. So, since we all right now have only one week of programming to go on as far as these new concepts that we saw. When it was over, I thought one of the ideas actually had potential. Not a huge fan of it, but I think it has potential. The other I thought was just garbage. First, they brought back Shane McMahon for a new concept that they're calling Raw Underground, which supposedly is a Shane McMahon idea. A Shane McMahon idea I'm sure he got from somewhere else. There's a lot of other people using the Underground name. Let us never forget Lucha Underground. And clearly there was some Lucha Underground influence in the way this was shot in the atmosphere of this. Uh, Raw, I mean, Raw has been underground for years now. So it's kind of appropriate. At least now they're admitting it. (laughs) I heard Raw Underground. I thought, are they talking about the ratings? Are they talking about the quality of the show? What are they talking about here? But one of the two major angles they shot this week, at least this one I think is the one that has potential. Uh, it is their own version of an underground fight club with background music, dancing women on a stage, which seems kind of dated, frankly. It's like the old ECW when they launched the old ECW or going back to the shotgun Saturday night days. You want to go back even longer. That's over 20 years ago. Uh, so they had that going on. I fully would expect that to be dropped. You'll, you'll see some of these things just quietly get dropped. That'll be one of them in the weeks to come. But they had a dark, they were in a darkened part of the performance center. It looked like they were in a warehouse. They were in a darkened part of the performance center. There's a ring with no ropes. The posts are up, but there's no ring ropes. They have a referee wearing gloves and a bunch of wrestlers, a bunch of the developmental guys. Surrounding the ring, wearing face masks, banging on the ring and making noise. And Shane is there to introduce the first two people for the first fight. They fight for a few seconds and and that's really it. And then rinse, repeat. That's really the whole concept. It reminds me of the, the Battle of the Tough Guys fights from the movie No Holds Bar. They should bring in Brell. Bring in Brell to host. And then he can call all the losers jockasses. They should get Zeus to make a cameo. So this is, but this is WWE, right? So I, I mentioned Lucha Underground. I love Lucha Underground. You guys know that. I used to review it on the, on the show every week. I never missed an episode. Uh, I love the show generally and I love the look of it. It was filmed like a movie. It was just, it was different because it had to be different. They could not do what WWE does. 
If Lucha Underground went out there and tried just to be WWE or tried just to be Impact, it wouldn't have worked. It was a totally different show. It had to be different. The way they used Dario Cueto as the as the authority figure, and I had gotten just sick to death of authority figures on wrestling shows. They got it right with him. I still maintain he he's one of, if not the best authority figure in wrestling I've ever seen. I miss him. I miss that character. But, you know, we talk about underground. This is WWE. And nothing says underground and gritty like a thousand fucking camera cuts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And you see, this is the problem with WWE sometimes, is that they're too clean and too smooth looking, I think, for their own good. That's fine with Raw and SmackDown, right? You want to have everything well lit, HD, you know, they, they come up with these new camera angles and little innovations like that. Forget the shaky cam and the, ca- and the camera cuts, which I think are the absolute dirt worst. There's a lot that they do that make the product look really good, and, th- and that's fine for the pay-per-views, and that's fine for Raw and SmackDown. But I remember when they relaunched ECW back in 2006 on Sci-Fi. It should have looked grittier. They got the look all wrong. It looked like every other WWE show. It looked it looked like the C-Show. It looked like you had Raw and SmackDown, and then you had, like, Main Event, or Velocity, or Afterburn, or Heartburn, which they give me every week. But it looked no different. Other than the announce desk was in a different position, and the wrestlers ca- kind of came through the crowd a little bit. That was it. That was their big way to separate this show from all the other ones. They completely missed the mark on how the look and feel of the show should have been. These are supposed to be underground fights. Dirty the look up a little bit more. Don't make it so polished. And for the love of God, enough with all the damn camera cuts. For every for every movement, go back and watch this. For every movement that the wrestlers made, if you lifted your arm to go throw a punch, there was a camera cut. Before your arm came down for the punch, there was a second camera cut, maybe a third. Completely unnecessary completely unnecessary. So those would be some of the the stylistic things that I would like to see, right? This is all, look, this is all constructive criticism here. I'm not completely crapping on the idea because I think it has potential, but the look is a very big part, I think, of the feel of it. And it does play into whether or not, you know, it could in the end be a, a successful concept. It's not the most important thing, but it's important. I think these things are important. You're going to have something underground, Dirty it up a little bit more. So, I tweeted out during the show. And I don't do a lot of tweeting during during the, the shows anymore, because I'm not always watching them live. 
uh, because I could only stomach so much at a time. A lot of times I'll watch it piecemeal over the course of a few days because that's just, it's easier to digest that way. Um, and frankly, a lot of what they do just doesn't inspire me to really, I mean, you know, <laughs> you watch these shows. Some weeks they hit the mark, most weeks they don't. What is there to discuss? How is that different than any other week? These ideas this week compelled me to write. And so I tweeted during the show, I said, I felt misled. Because when they first started advertising this thing on Monday night, and they showed Shane, and they said, 10 p.m., 10 p.m., it's going to be Raw Underground, I mistakenly believed that that meant the show was effectively converting into a kind of like a different type of show in that final hour. And Shane was going to almost take it over, and this whole concept would be the 10 to 11 p.m. hour. And I got very excited. Because really what that would have done is it would have turned Raw basically into a two-hour show. And then if I wanted to, I could have turned the TV off. Now, I wouldn't have because I, you know, I have to watch it and see what the new concept is. But the idea that Raw itself could convert into a two-hour show was exciting to me. It was enticing to me. Sadly, that did not happen. I was misled. I got ahead of myself. But one knock, here's another knock I have on this. And to me, this is just laziness. And it's not surprising when you hear about the chaos backstage and things. Apparently, a lot of shit was changed at the last minute, blown up and changed by Vince McMahon right up until the the, the moment the show went on the air. So it's not surprising that something like this would have been overlooked, right? They're they're desperate right now. They're in a panicked state. They got a lot of questions for the first time, or a few. I shouldn't say a lot. They got a few questions, which is more than they usually get during that investor's call about creative and about ratings. And I think it spooked them. There was an article on Variety. There was an investment and research for, I think, a, a research firm that came out against the the idea that all you know, Vince McMahon is always saying all these excuses and putting the blame on on creative. This is something that we haven't seen before, and so I think it spooked them. And I think they just felt like we got to do something here. And they didn't really give any thought to the why. They didn't tell us, why is this happening? We have Raw Underground. Okay, why? Why is Shane McMahon back with Raw Underground? Shane, All Shane said was, he got in the ring, he said, welcome to Raw Underground. And basically he said that this is something he wanted to see. Like it's his own little personal playground, which I guess it is, right? It's the whole McMahon family's personal little playground. That's the whole company. But they didn't tell us why. Just because Shane McMahon says, well, it's something I want to see. That's not good enough. You got to come up with a better reason why. Why is this happening? Why Why is Why is this taking over segments on Monday Night Raw? Why should we care? So those are the questions that they didn't answer. One of the new talents they introduced for this, for the first time on TV, was Baba Tunde or Babatoon, however you uh, pronounce it, or that that was his name anyway in developmental before. Uh, now he is going by the name of Daba Kato, who has been training at the PC now for a few years, I think about four years, five years. He played some preseason games for the Minnesota Vikings five years ago. I think that's his big claim to fame. He's a big dude. He is a gigantic man. He's almost a legit seven feet tall. They put him in there with a guy who literally looked to be half of his size who I've never seen before. Hey, he could have been one of the pint-sized ninjas that came out at the end of SmackDown on Friday night. He wants retribution on Baba Tunde for beating the fuck out of him on Monday night. There, I just gave you a storyline explanation for why the little guy would be so upset. Why the little guy would be so short-tempered about this whole thing. 
So we got to see Dabakato for the first time. Big guy. Vince McMahon loves him, I'm sure. Here's where I think the Raw Underground concept could work. If it turns into a different way to introduce a few new talents to TV, that could be an effective use of the concept. They had Eric of the Viking Raiders in another fight, pummel some dude. Again, these fights literally went maybe 10 seconds. There's no pinfall, there's no tap out. They just kind of brawl and then the referee steps in and says, okay, that's enough. And that's the fight. And then on to the next one. So they had Eric of the Viking Raiders. And this may have worked better if we didn't just see him and Ivar acting like clowns on TV for the last two or three months doing comedy skits. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while to wash the stink of that off. They had Dolph Ziggler. The last person I would have expected in Raw Underground. But Dolph Ziggler was a very accomplished amateur wrestler, I think. At, oh, where'd he go? Uh, Kent State. Right? They talk about that on TV, and he was. So here he is doing amateur wrestling stuff. This is not an amateur wrestling competition, though. This is Raw Underground. It's about uh, big, tough guys fighting uh, smaller guys. Dolph Ziggler in the uh, in the Raw Underground ring. I don't know that that's going to work. Now they're trying to show the tough side of Dolph Ziggler after, what, 15 years? Good luck with that. But then, there was the Hurt Business. Shelton Benjamin, Bobby Lashley, and MVP. Who has officially, by the way, signed a new deal with WWE. uh, They were talking, they were negotiating, it is official. So he's locked up now for the next few years. And what a comeback story for him, right? He He hadn't been in the company in so long. And now he, he brought him back. Originally, it was a cameo with the Royal Rumble. Then it was going to be... Uh, well, really, I think the reason they did bring him in was to give him a tryout as an agent. But they said, well, you got your gear? We'll put you in the Royal Rumble. And we'll give you a match with Rey Mysterio on TV the next night. And that just morphed into what you now see, a full-time contract. And this guy is in main event segments on TV. He's leading his own faction. He was walking around as the... Uh, illegitimate U.S. champion for a few weeks. So good for him. It's a, it's a nice little comeback story for MVP, who in this role, not so much in the ring, but as a mouthpiece and as somebody who can lead his own group, you know, I think is is the perfect role for him. I think there's a lot that he can do, a lot that he can contribute in that role. He, in a lot of ways, has been one of the MVPs of the pandemic era. You know, he's got he's done all of this without the benefit of being in front of a single crowd. If you think about it. So the Hurt Business did not have a good night on Monday Night Raw. MVP lost to the returning Apollo Crews in the opener. Apollo, who now is the official United States champion. The one and only, the real United States champion. Backstage, he did an interview. He said that he's going to hang the old U.S. belt in his kid's bedroom. And he thanked MVP for spending his own money to buy the new belt that he now has. I actually thought that was a pretty good promo from from Apollo. Uh, But MVP blamed the flickering lights in the building for distracting him. Because the lights were flickering and other weird things were going on. That ties into the other angle that I'll talk about in a second. So he said that he wants his rematch with Apollo at the... I sound like Bret Hart now. At the SummerSlam. He wants his rematch with him at the SummerSlam... For the United States Championship. But he lost on this show, right? And then later on, Shelton Benjamin lost his 24-7 ugly green belt. Back to Akira Tozawa. as a triple threat with Tozawa and R-Truth and Shelton. And Shelton lost the championship back to the uh, the Ninja King. 
So at the end of the show, they decided to walk over to the other part of the building. They decided to walk over to Raw Underground. They showed up wearing all these nice suits. And Lashley and MVP end up killing. They basically took over from Shane McMahon. Now they're hosting Raw Underground. And MVP and Lashley beat up some dudes. It's always fun to watch Lashley beat the fuck out of somebody, you know, less than twice his size and throw the guy around. That's when Bobby Lashley looks like a monster. That's the Bobby Lashley, I think, that people wanted to see against Brock Lesnar. And hold that thought. But Dio Madden got in the ring. Remember Dio Madden? Dio Madden got a cup of coffee as the Raw announcer last year before they took him off commentary. The last time we saw him on TV, he was getting F5'd by Brock Lesnar through a table. I remember him going eye-to-eye with Brock Lesnar. He was, I mean, he was almost, uh, I think he was taller than Brock. So to see him standing face-to-face with Brock was, was interesting. And then Brock laid him out with one F5. We never saw him again. And they never identified him here. But he got into the ring and he got beat up by Shelton Benjamin. And, you know, so all of this is going on. And the Hurt Business is just beating everybody up. They're beating everybody up all around the ring. Beating up all all, all the geeks outside the ring. Until there was nobody left. And when they went off the air, I thought the Hurt Business came off more badass than anything else WWE has done with them on the main show on Raw. In weeks. Looking at them standing there like that, they came off looking like a bunch of badasses. And I'm not sure that says anything good about the rest of the show. That <laughs> They came off much better here than they have any other at any other point. But they did. I look at this and here's where I see a road for them to finally get to Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. If that's a match that people want to see and if that's a match they want to do, they now have the road to get there. And if they do it, I don't think it's going to end well for Lashley. But it's still a match that I, you know, and I, I get emails from people who have asked me about it. Clearly, there is an interest from from people in still seeing this match. Even though they never did it before. And, you know, we've seen Lashley lose a whole bunch of times. He may have lost some of that flair he, he may maybe had when he first came back. But I think a lot of people would still be interested in seeing that match. It's all in how the match is promoted. How do you get there? Do you book Lashley to look like a monster? You keep putting him out there doing what he was doing on Monday. Yeah, I think that could work. It could be a big match if it's promoted right. Let the Hurt Business take it over for a few more weeks. And then one day, there's no competition left. Paul Heyman shows up. And where Paul Heyman goes, so too goes Brock Lesnar, who we have not seen since WrestleMania. And then you get that first face-to-face with Lesnar and Lashley. And from there, you promote it like you would promote a big fight. You promote it like you would promote an MMA fight. You can put together these video packages of them in training camp. You go all the way with it. Show highlights from both of their MMA careers. And their early amateur wrestling careers. And their WWE careers. And the different championships they won. Make them both look like just total beasts. Make people forget about the Lashley sisters. And all the other nonsense that Lashley was doing early on in this in this latest WWE run. Let's pretend like it never happened. This concept could get them there. But my final thoughts on it is this. This is going to have a very short shelf life. It may have some legs for a little while, but this is not a long-term concept. So while it is fresh, get a few faces over, get a few new names over on TV, 
and build to at least one big match, one big fight. And if you could do that, then I would call this a success. But if the idea is to just have fake MMA-style fights on TV, it doesn't work. Because if people wanted to watch MMA, they would watch UFC, they would watch Bellator, they would watch an actual MMA promotion. They're not going to watch the fake stuff if that's what they're looking for. And if you remember the Brawl for All, they actually made it real using their own talent, and it was one of the dumbest ideas that they ever had because guys got hurt, other guys got exposed, badly exposed. So maybe on WWE television, everybody thought, oh, this guy's a tough guy. And then they went in there and they looked like they had two left feet and they got knocked out in 20 seconds. It was a terrible idea. You know, you can have certain talents from MMA backgrounds who come to Raw and SmackDown and apply that style to their matches. We've seen that with Brock. We've seen that with Shayna Baszler. We saw that with Ken Shamrock when he first came into the WWF. That's fine. But the idea of doing shoot-style fighting on a WWE show as as some kind of big long-term idea, it is a fail. It will not work. So make the most of it now. And shout-out to Christian Reyes, who suggested Shayna Baszler, if she is out of the title picture, becoming part of Raw Underground, and maybe being recruited by the Hurt Business. Maybe Shayna Shayna Baszler becomes a member of the Hurt Business. I don't think that would be a terrible idea, especially if she had somebody doing the talking for her. She's not, you know, promos are not her strong suit. She can throw little jabs, little like good one-liners out there. But yeah, maybe maybe her being part of some kind of a faction like that would not be a bad idea, especially with all the TV time the Hurt Business now seems to be getting. It would be a good spot for her to be in. So not an idea that I would sleep on. I, I would definitely you know give that some thought. And then there was the debut of the Ninja NWO with Chainsaws, a new faction calling itself Retribution, which is defined as the act of taking revenge. And that has some people thinking that maybe it could be a collection of disgruntled former talents that were released from the company back in April, coming back for revenge. That doesn't make any sense when you really look at the list of people that they let go. Very few of those people are even available anymore. You know, Anderson and Gallows, Heath Slater, Kurt Hawkins, Eric Young, EC3, Zack Ryder... And, and say it was those guys, right? And then there were other ones, by the way, like Rusev, who I don't think is coming back. But you've got Rusev and Aiden English and Mike and Maria. They, I think they're still available. But look at all of the names I just mentioned, maybe except Rusev, who I, I still think there's definitely value in him as, as a bigger star than he was being positioned as. But look at most of those names. They were job guys in WWE. And I hope people like EC3 go on to have great success, but... They were job guys. They were nobody. They were treated like nobodies in WWE when they actually were on TV, which was rare. They would end up right back where they were before. Why would anybody be excited about that? It's like the job squad coming back and getting revenge, retribution. Who cares? You give it two weeks. Nobody's going to give a shit. So all around, even if it was going to happen, and I don't believe it is, I think it's a terrible idea. Now, on Raw Monday night, we had lights flickering in the building, going off and on throughout the show, audio cutting in and out. And the reason being, security camera footage captured a group of five mystery people dressed in ninja-like outfits. 
They were black ski masks and hoodies, but from our vantage point, from my vantage point, because I'm so used to seeing it on WWE television, they looked like ninjas. Caught in the parking lot, throwing Molotov cocktails at a power generator outside the performance center. If their mission was to knock the show off the air, they failed. They would have been massive baby faces had they succeeded. But they failed. But that didn't stop them from celebrating and jumping up and down before running away. I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself, they look like children. They're throwing like little firecrackers at the, at the generator, jumping up and down and celebrating and rooting and cheering for themselves. They look like children. They literally look like fucking children egging someone's house in their Halloween costumes that their mothers bought for them at Party City. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. They looked ridiculous. They made the Dark Order look intimidating, and that's not an easy thing to do. You know my thoughts on the Dark Order if you listen to my AEW reviews. They made the Dark Order look intimidating. Here we got the Dork Order. A lot of people like to say that about the Dark Order. The Dark Order is no longer the Dork Order. This is the Dork Order. So this carried over to SmackDown on Friday night. During the dirt sheet with Miz and Morrison, their mic started to cut in and out. During the Lucha House Party match, the lights started flickering. And then the heavy angle came at the end of the show. This was the New Age WWE version of the Nexus angle from 10 years ago this very summer. In fact, in June of 2010 is when the Nexus invaded. Now, I knew something was up here when they flashed the copyright, the little copyright box on the bottom of the screen that usually goes up at the very end of the show. And that went up a few minutes before the end of the show. It was like in the middle of a backstage segment. It might have been the one where Mandy and Sonya were being pulled apart. And they kind of, they, if I remember, they flashed it up on the screen. I thought, well, that's kind of strange. I figured, okay, well, if they're getting it out of the way now, that means we're going to get some kind of abrupt ending. At the end of the show, I just didn't know what it was going to be. What it was, was a bunch of guys and girls in black ski masks and hoodies, the ninjas from Monday night, invading the ring with weapons. They chased Michael Cole and Corey Graves away. They flipped over the announce desk. They destroyed the ring. Sound familiar? If Nexus had a baby that grew up to be five feet tall, you'd have retribution. Only here they attacked some of the PC trainees behind the plexiglass. They spray-painted the plexiglass, the ring skirt, the ring steps. They were The ring mat, they were defacing everything. 
They had baseball bats. One of them brought out a chainsaw. I don't know where the fuck they got a chainsaw from, but one of them all of a sudden, boom, they have a chainsaw. The chainsaw was probably as big as they were. There's the chainsaw sawing through each of the ring ropes one by one. Not a single member of the SmackDown locker room came out to stop them. Even before the chainsaw came out. I can understand the chainsaw, right? You don't want to fuck with the chainsaw. But that was the last thing they did. They were already out there for minutes before that happened. Nobody bothered to try to come out and stop these people. And that's why I also keep drawing attention to the fact of how physically small they looked. Because again, the entire locker room is watching this. And you have an army of people who are who physically, I mean, they don't look very intimidating. And nobody bothers to come out and try to stop them from invading their television show and defacing their ring and their building. This is the place they have to work every week. They can't go anywhere else. It's always at the performance center. And you're just letting them have a run of the place. Nobody bothers to come out and try to chase them away. Or stop them, or look, grab weapons in the back. You got plenty of pipes and chairs and weapons in the back. Nobody came out. Nobody came out. It was this actually the same problem that you know you could point to with the Nexus angle. As great as the Nexus angle was carried out, it really didn't make any sense that nobody bothered to come out and and they knew who they were, right? You look on the monitor, hey, it's those NXT kids. They think they're going to take over our show. Fuck these guys, and they should have went out there and chased them off. So you could say that was kind of a a flaw in that as well, but here it made even less sense. There was nothing stopping them from grabbing some weapons from the bag and coming out and chasing off the invaders. But, you know, as with Raw Underground, the other issue, the camera work here was shit. With the constant cuts. Now, eventually, when they chased the cameraman away, they had some kind of, like, Fixed hard camera from above. That was at least a little bit better. But the camera work here was absolutely awful. You know, if you have motion sickness, I have no idea how you're able to watch the, these shows without taking a Dramamine pill. I really don't know. I'm not joking. I'm, I'm being serious. I don't know how some people who have really bad motion sickness are able to watch this television show. You know, Cloverfield is one of my favorite movies. I loved that movie when I watched it in the theater. So much that I ended up seeing it three different times in the theater with three different, well, four, four different people. And that first time, I can remember, I was so excited because I was following along with the viral marketing for weeks, which I was pissed because when I watched the movie, the viral marketing (laughs) didn't play into the movie at all. It was just a gimmick to get people interested in it. But I was following along all the clues and everything. I mean, I'm a sucker for, for monster movies, let alone a monster movie where the monster is destroying the city that I live in. So yeah, I was interested in this movie. But I remember going to see the movie, and I was sitting in the middle row. It was opening night, the biggest theater at the Regal Ewok in Times Square. They have this gigantic, it's probably 500 seats in this theater. And I'm right in the middle row of this theater, and I'm excited, and I'm ready to go. And in the middle of the movie, I start to feel sick because of the shaky cam. You ever see the Blair Witch Project? Same thing, handheld Meant to be shot like, you know, it was being filmed by somebody and the up and down and back and forth because people are running through the streets for half the movie. All of a sudden, I start to get sick. And I had to close my eyes and I, I missed like 15 minutes of the movie. I could hear it, but I couldn't see it because I was just, I was stuck. I mean, I was right in the middle. <laughs> There's no way I was getting out of this row. And I'm just closing my eyes and I am praying. I go, please don't let me, I don't let me vomit on the girl next to me. I actually had one on each side. I went with two girls that I worked with at the time, and they were both sitting on either side of me, and I was just praying, please, 
please. This is this is really not going to end well. And thankfully it passed, but I went back to see it two more times, but I was smart. I took a pill before I went and I was fine. I think people have to medicate that way before they watch these fucking shows. That was just one movie. I can't imagine having to do that every single week. Now the imagery. I got a few emails from people and tweets from people who were put off by the imagery the WWE was going for, which is very obvious, right? We could talk about comparisons to, you know, certain NWO angles or the Nexus angle. It's not like we haven't seen invasion type angles in wrestling before. But clearly, we know what they were going for here, right? With the masks and the hoodies and the baseball bats, they were invoking images of the riots and the protests that we've had in the streets here in this country in recent months. And I don't fucking like it. I don't want to see this shit on a wrestling show when we still have things like this happening in the streets out there. Very real situation, very serious situation. Yes, I... I Absolutely welcome there being more realism on the show. But this is not what I was talking about when I talked about real. I've been talking about realism for years before any of this even happened. Okay. Not just this year. I've been talking about adding realism to these shows for years because the biggest thing the WWE is missing is authenticity. And by the way, watching this angle, I know they were trying to play it off like some kind of real invasion, real coup was going on. Even what they did on Friday night, nothing came across as authentic. The thing that WWE is missing the most when it comes to promos, when it comes to their product overall, is authenticity. Nobody buys it. Nobody believes in it. There aren't many talents on the roster. I think that you could really point to who people could buy into the way they used to buy into the biggest stars that this company made its name off of for all those years. You want to go back 20, 30, 10, 5 years. It's missing that. That authenticity is gone. It is too formulaic. It's just too structured. It's too good. It's too prepackaged. And that to me is one of the biggest knocks on the product. So I'm all for authenticity. I'm all for adding realism to the product. This thing though, this sucks. The way they, they tried to portray this, this sucks. They think it's edgy. They think it's edgy to create their own version of that. It's not edgy. It's not cool. It's stupid. And it sucks. It's also a rehash of an angle that we already saw once before that was done better. And that's always the worst. That's always the worst. As they say, very few sequels can live up to the original. You'll get one every now and then, right? A a Godfather or a Terminator or something. Very, very seldomly though. If you get a copy an old angle, you need to make it better. I'm sure everybody has their own theories about who the people are and why they're there. I don't believe it's the release talents. I do believe it's NXT talents that are being called up. I do believe it's NXT talents being called over to Raw and SmackDown. I don't think it is a coincidence that Dominic Dijakovic and Tommaso Ciampa both blacked out their Twitter profiles. They went black. They deleted all of their tweets. Dijakovic was rumored to be moving to Monday Night Raw a few weeks ago. This is when Paul Heyman was still, you know, there. Uh, And then it never happened. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chelsea Green. Chelsea Green. We know that there's at least a couple of women who were out there on Friday night. Chelsea Green is another one. She fired Robert Stone. They put Robert Stone with her. She started winning matches, and then she fired Robert Stone in an angle that actually didn't even air on TV. It aired on their YouTube channel. And we've seen plenty of Robert Stone on NXT in the months since. Chelsea Green hasn't been seen. She's in purgatory. So she's another name that may well be part of this. I'm very much in favor of introducing new faces to the show. But I thought the stuff they did on Monday and Friday was just way too goofy. More so on Friday. When I say Monday and Friday, I'm talking about this angle. I'm not talking about Raw Underground. Was way too goofy for me to actually take seriously. Now, could these people be decoys? You know, the ones we saw on Friday night, could they be decoys? Could it be like the Black Scorpion angle in WCW, right? The Black Scorpion was coming out week after week. It wasn't Ric Flair under the Black Scorpion getup all those weeks. But when the reveal happened, it was. So just because we had a a bunch of shorter-looking people who sounded a certain way, people think they can match the voices, whoever was under the masks on Friday night, that does not mean that those are going to be the people who end up being unmasked at the end of this angle. They could have just been stand-ins. Could they be working for somebody else? I think it's a sure bet. I don't think anybody that we saw in that ring on Friday night is the leader. That would get me a little more interested to see where they're going with this. You know, Riddick Moss pinned Mustafa Ali on main event this week. The same Ali who just came back to TV after seven months away is now on main event being pinned. By guys who haven't been on Raw. I mean, the last time we saw Riddick Moss was probably before the pandemic started. And even then, he was a brand new face they had just called up. I think Ali is someone who would probably like to get some retribution. Maybe he has something to do with this new faction. I'm not saying he's necessarily leading the charge, but maybe he's got something to do with this. People assume he was going to be the SmackDown hacker. It looks like they dropped the angle. What if they didn't? What if Ali is the hacker? What if this crew is working on behalf of the hacker? Even if it isn't Ali, it would be nice for them to tie up that loose end instead of giving us another uh, GTV, which never had any resolution. Or giving us the whole, remember the whole Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon lockbox thing heading into WrestleMania? Boy, that went nowhere. We never did find out what that was all about. Some of these storylines just never get resolved. It would be nice for them to resolve that and tie up that loose end. But if they are going to debut some new faces... 
They need to do it right. Don't do them. Don't do to them what they did to the Nexus a decade ago. When they had something hot and they killed it. They sabotaged it through bad booking. If you're going to do this, do it right. Make new stars, but do it the right way. Chasing around cameramen and beating up PC trainees is dumb. Go after the stars. Make the stars actually act like they care about what's going on. Bianca Belair, for those of you who may have missed it, she, uh, we, we had a home invasion yesterday on Twitch. Zelina Vega was twitching with, is that what you say when you're on Twitch? That you're twitching, right? You're not tweeting, you're twitching. She was twitching with Kayla Braxton, I guess on uh, Zelina's Twitch channel. And all of a sudden in the middle of this stream, Bianca Belair barged into her home. And we, we can hear the commotion. We see Zelina go, how did you get into my house? And here comes Bianca Belair attacking her and the camera goes, you know, gets knocked down and the stream died. They'll probably get Twitch banned for that. But I actually thought that was kind of clever. That was a clever way of them continuing the storyline with Bianca and uh, Zelina. You know, they, they've not been getting along on TV. They did this angle on Monday night where Montez Ford, Bianca's husband, was poisoned. And Bianca accused Zelina and Angel Garza and Andrade being behind the poisoning. And so this was a continuation of that storyline. That I liked. I actually liked that. So, thumbs up on that. That was a cool way to go about doing that, I thought. We had uh, Seth Rollins on Monday night. The match is now official for SummerSlam. Not a tag team match. They're going to do a singles match. Dominic, Rey Mysterio's son Dominic, is going to go one-on-one with Seth Rollins. At SummerSlam, it is now official. Uh, Seth Rollins took issue with Tom Phillips, the voice of Monday Night Raw, cheering Dominic on the week before, and he was ordering Murphy to attack him. Samoa Joe stood up at the announce desk and stood up for Tom and said, you're going to have to go through me to get to him. And he started to unbutton his jacket. And, you know, Joe is great whenever he just kind of has to stand up to somebody like that and just come off as a badass. He's He's great. Uh, I don't know if it's leading to a Samoa Joe in-ring return, but, you know, I think, look, I look at this Retribution stuff, and I think if there was anybody who was going to lead a faction who I think would be great in the role, it's a Samoa Joe. I'm not sure Samoa Joe has anything to do with that, but uh, I think that's a role that he would be great in as well. But before Joe could uh, get physical with Rollins and Murphy, that's when Dominic came out, and again, the match is official. We're going to get to see Dominic in his first singles match, and Rollins is a talented guy. So if you were going to put Dominic in there with somebody who you wanted to know could sell for him and help make him look good, Rollins is as good a choice as any. And if we assume Rey Mysterio is not going anywhere, and I don't believe he is, eventually we will get that tag team match. It will be Rey Mysterio teaming with his son. I know he's wanted to do that for so long, and it'll be him and Dominic at some point against Rollins and Murphy, but they're going to go at the singles match first. Uh, what we've seen from Dominic has been pretty impressive, but we've not seen him in an actual full-blown singles match. So this is going to be a real test. But I think it's kind of cool, if you think about it, th- that if you go back 15 years, it was 15 years ago at SummerSlam 2005 that they had that ridiculous uh, custody for Dominic ladder match between Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. And we saw Dominic, I mean, how old could he have been at the time? What was he, seven maybe? I don't know. He was a young kid. And here we are 15 years later, and here's Dominic. 
at SummerSlam, wrestling in his first match. I think that's kind of cool. Now, SmackDown on Friday night, SmackDown was, put it this way, SmackDown was a come down from the shows we've gotten in recent weeks. I have had a lot of praise for SmackDown the last two weeks, especially last week. Uh, this week was not a great show. We had Matt Riddle against Sheamus, which was interrupted via disqualification when Chad Gable ran down to attack Riddle. Sheamus was angry that Gable interfered and cost him, you know, trying to collect the King's Ransom. Still hasn't been explained what the King's Ransom is. King's Ransom is a hundred bucks. Is it a gift card to Olive Garden? I mean, what is the King's Ransom? We don't know. We haven't been told. Apparently, maybe it's a treasure chest. Sheamus was angry. He broke, kicked Chad Gable and left him laying. And silly me here, I thought they were building to heal Gable against Matt Riddle. And instead, I guess Gable is not a heel. I guess he's just a, a dumb babyface who decided to partner up with the guy that's been insulting him and terrorizing him and terrorized him for months. And then he came out here on TV and he got kicked in the face by Sheamus and left laying like, like, a, like a schlub. He came off looking like the biggest goof did Chad Gable. And they went and they had Sheamus confront Corbin in the back. So heel on heel violence here. He was very angry with Corbin. You know, he's furious that he sent Gable out there to interfere in his match. That would play into uh, something that would happen later on. We had The Fiend. I can't believe they gave The Fiend a full entrance here on SmackDown in the in the Performance Center. That was surprising. I That was the first full TV entrance that The Fiend has had. And hopefully they don't do that a lot because the more they do it, the less special it's going to feel. I would have just saved that for pay-per-views. I would have waited until SummerSlam, but they did it on Friday. So The Fiend showed up and the question was, what's going to be with Alexa Bliss? Now I thought, I said to myself, Alexa Bliss needs to be kept off television until SummerSlam. Alexa Bliss needs to be kept off television and not seen until SummerSlam and either she turns on Braun Strowman and helps The Fiend win the championship and then goes off and and, and is a heel again, which I think she should be. Or if they don't want to turn her heel, she shows up at SummerSlam and she helps Braun. Either way, The Fiend assaulted her. He put her down. She should not be on TV the following week. What did they do? They put Alexa Bliss on TV the very next week. Not only did they put Alexa Bliss on TV the very next week, She was sitting in the ring out of nowhere. She appeared magically and she looked no different. She looked exactly the same. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As she looked the week before, sitting in the same position in the ring. And again, the fiend knelt down. He was teasing, putting the mandible claw. And she put her hand on his face like, like she has feelings for him. And he backed away. The Fiend made a very fatal flaw here. He backed off. That's not what The Fiend should be doing. Falling for a woman. This could be the beginning of the end of The Fiend. That's usually how it works, right? You fall for a woman and then everything gets fucked up. (laughs) That's usually how this works. Especially in wrestling, right? Think of all the storylines where the women have come between the men. Because that's all they know. 
in this company. That's all they know in wrestling, right? It's always the woman's fault. The woman gets between the men. This is what happens. But I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. The next week, there's Alexa Bliss looking no different. It's as if last week just never even happened. So now we have Braun Strowman popping up on the Tron. First time we've seen him since he climbed out of the swamp, right? So now we have Swamp Thing Braun. And he's talking in this evil tone like some kind of demon within him has been unleashed by what happened to him at at Extreme Rules. Or I'm sorry, is it the horror show at Extreme Rules? I hear hear a, a kitten loses its whiskers every time somebody says Extreme Rules without saying it the right way. At the horror show at Extreme Rules where Braun Strowman lost in the swamp fight. And he talked about the fact that I don't care about Alexa. You do whatever you want. I don't give a shit. And I thought, well, how about that? <laughs> this guy got it figured out. He's not going to let this woman ruin his career. He says, do what you want. I don't care. Or what I think is going on here, it's reverse psychology. I think what's going on here is that Alexa Bliss is in on this with Braun. Maybe they're not going to turn her heel. And she is going to try to provide the assist for Strowman at SummerSlam if an assist, of course, is, is needed. But I think this was just his kind of backwards way of trying to trick the Fiend into thinking he doesn't care about Alexa Bliss. Because otherwise, he came off like the biggest prick in the world. Right? Here's this woman that he's been friendly with and former partners with in that mixed match challenge. She's physically assaulted by this guy last week. The guy took his fingers and put him in her mouth and jammed him down her throat and threatened to do it again on the show this week. And here comes the WWE Universal Champion saying, I don't give a shit about Alexa Bliss. What a heel. So I think there's a little uh, chicanery going on here. But he's going to give the Fiend what he wants. So it's going to be Braun and the Fiend for the championship at SummerSlam. And that was it. That was the whole angle. There was no explanation about the Bliss stuff or anything. I thought that was incredibly stupid. I thought that was a dumb way to follow up that angle. Which got a lot of people talking. It's a dumb way to follow that angle up from last week. Jeff Hardy against King Corbin. We had Jeff Hardy against King Corbin, and what happened here? Sheamus runs down in the middle of the match, and he brogue kicks Jeff Hardy. <laughs> and I thought, the feud that will not end. <laughs> now, I don't think it's a continuation of their feud, but still. I did. I, you know, I thought the interaction between them was over. And there's Jeff Hardy once again being laid out by Sheamus. I guess Sheamus has to get the last laugh. Sheamus won in the end. He put Jeff Hardy down. So Corbin was now furious because he lost by DQ. So Sheamus kind of got his revenge and that led to an impromptu match between Sheamus and King Corbin, a rare heel versus heel match. So of course, nobody in the performance center knew what to do. They didn't know how to react because you got these two pricks going one-on-one in the ring against each other. And Matt Riddle came out, caused a distraction, and that led to a bro kick for the win. Hey, at least we didn't get another cheap DQ. We saw enough of that on TV this week. This company is full of cheap disqualification finishes. At least here we got a pinfall. But we got two Baron Corbin matches on this show. Two Baron Corbin matches. Retribution ought to take out the person responsible for that. Figure out which creative member is responsible for that and take them out. Now, Bailey and Sasha Banks, they've got all the gold, right? Clearly, they're not doing Bailey and Sasha at SummerSlam. Uh, you know, it's ridiculous, right? You, you need time to build that match up. So they're going to take their time with that. They're going to take the scenic route, right? No fans at SummerSlam, no rush. 
So they're in the ring. They're called to the ring for a video conference with Stephanie McMahon. Stephanie praises them for all of their success and says, you know, that match that I made on Raw where Sasha won the championship on Countout, you guys, you took advantage. You took advantage of the stipulation that I made, but that's cool. That's all right. I'm not mad. And then she said, Bailey, here's what we're going to do. To determine your challenger at SummerSlam, next week we're going to have a tri-branded battle royal with women from Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. And the winner of that battle royal will challenge Bailey for the championship at SummerSlam. And when I look at that, I think to myself, well, self, who could it be? Right? My first thought was I thought of Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley, though, has a little program, a little feud going on now, it looks like, with Mercedes Martinez on NXT. So, you know, Rhea, Rhea I think, would be high on the list of possibilities. But I, I think Rhea's already occupied. So what other big women's names are out there right now that really aren't doing much of anything? And I, I think of NXT, and I think of Tegan Knox. Tegan Knox is somebody who obviously they have, I think, a lot of high hopes for. Tegan Knox is somebody who had a squash match on NXT this week, does not have any discernible program. She just had a match with Io Shirai. She did not win the NXT Women's Championship. I think Tegan Knox would be my pick as far as a prediction for who may be uh, going to that Championship match at SummerSlam for who may win that Battle Royal next week. Sasha and Bailey, by the way, they were very clearly standing in front of a green screen. If you notice that, whenever they would show Stephanie on the Tron. Uh, Stephanie has yet to appear in person at the PC. It's always either funny phone calls like she did for the Triple H 25th anniversary deal or via satellite from her home. You know, even her little cameo of Money in the Bank in the hallway when Dana Brooke thought she won the match and then Stephanie was like, Dana, that's not the briefcase. That She wasn't in the tower for that. That looked like it was filmed in a room in her home. See, Stephanie is not stupid. She's not a dummy. She ain't walking into that COVID hotspot. <laughs> so, just interesting that they, they the way they have to keep shooting her when she's on the show, it's so obvious that uh, she, either she's not there or they're editing it in in post-production. But uh, very clearly, a green screen effect was in play during this segment on SmackDown. And then the closing angle, I gave you my thoughts on the closing angle. Not a good episode of SmackDown this week. A big come down from the last couple of weeks. And uh, hopefully they can uh, get back to their winning ways this week. But I think a lot of it is going to depend, I guess, on the progression of this retribution angle. I've made it very clear what I would like to see and what I think they should do. Whether or not they do that, of course, is a different story. AEW. AEW got a big bump in the overnight ratings on Wednesday. They did their best numbers since the start of the pandemic. Shows back in March. 901,000 total overnight viewers, up 16% from the week before. And no, the highest rated segment of the show was not the John Moxley Darby Allen main event for the AEW Championship. In fact, that did the lowest quarter of the show the high mark was the opening 12-man tag with the elite and ftr against the dark order so the dark order you could say drew the biggest number of the night see Brody lee is vindicated and people said Brody lee wasn't a draw (laughs) i'm sure it had nothing to do with the 11 other people in the match or the people on the other side of the ring Brody lee has been vindicated and 918,000 Viewers, for the debate between Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy, 918,000 for a debate 
That's pretty damn good. The news was also good for NXT. Up over 6% from the 707 the week before to 753,000 viewers. Both shows combined for more than 1.6 million viewers. That's the same number of viewers that Monday Night Raw did two weeks ago. So they're there. They're not even like nipping at the heels anymore. They're there. AEW set the table. I thought they did a very good job of setting the table for some of their big upcoming matches. NXT did the same. Although I think AEW had the stronger show. But the great news here is that they grew the total audience for both shows combined. They've been trading the same people back and forth now for weeks and weeks. And this week they grew the audience a little bit more. That's a good sign. Tony Khan tweeted, thank you everyone who watched Dynamite last night. Thank you. Thanks to you. We were top five in the 18 to 49 demo again, plus our biggest overall audience since pre-pandemic with Fulham winning the playoffs and back in the Premier League. That plus this Dynamite rating, it is the best week I ever had. So Tony Khan was flying. Tony Khan was on cloud nine having the best week of his life. And then came the news later in the week, just to show you it wasn't all rainbows and rose petals for AEW this week. There was a major, major shakeup at Warner Media on Friday. Talk about a Friday news dump. Save all the bad, save all this, uh, got a bad news. I mean, they won't position it as bad news, but, uh, definitely spooked a lot of people. And they saved the announcement for Friday. The parent company of TNT is Warner Media. TNT, of course, is the network that airs AEW. And I wouldn't say it's bad news yet, but it is a little unsettling. Two top executives are out, including Kevin Riley. That is the name that matters, because were it not for Kevin Riley giving AEW a shot, there would very likely be no AEW right now. I don't mean AEW on TV. I mean AEW, period. Were it not for the support of Kevin Riley. And it's very likely they would not have been signed to a $45 million contract through 2023 with an option for 2024. The problem is contracts can be broken, as is the case with Riley, who has been with the company since 2014. He came in as the head of TNT and TBS, and later on he was promoted to the head of content for Warner Media, he just signed a four-year deal with the company in May of last year. And now, he's unemployed. So, we've heard this with WWE, right? People signing five-year contracts. Look at Anderson and Gallows last year. They signed a five-year contract. Triple H talked them into it. Wasn't even a year later. They were thrown out on their asses. Contracts were meant to be broken. And it's not usually the employees or the talent, as it were, that have the power in those situations. So, so much for that four-year deal that Kevin Riley signed. And it raises concerns for AEW. You know, Casey Bloys, who used to be the president of HBO programming, will now oversee content for HBO Max, as well as TNT, TBS, and True TV Networks. And Ann Sarnoff. Ann Sarnoff is the chief executive of Warner who oversees all of their cable networks. And Casey Bloys is going to report directly to her. So he will not have absolute power over those networks. She would have final say over any big decisions. And she's been there for a while. So it's not like she's a newbie. I mean, she's been there. I, 
She's probably been there at least a year, maybe more. Kevin Riley was the one who gave AEW a chance. He was a fan of what they were doing. He was an ally of Tony Khan's. But that does not mean that just because he is gone, the future is bleak for AEW. Nobody knows. That's that's the answer. And that's, I think, what scares some people, is that we don't have all the answers. Nobody really knows. This just happened. This happened, I mean, this was announced less than 48 hours ago from where I am recording this right now. This is still fresh in everybody's minds. This took a lot of people by surprise. It's too early to know where this may lead. But I think everybody who's been around long enough to remember the story of WCW hears about major executive changes at TNT. (laughs) You know, it's like, and they rightfully get a little worried because you think back to what happened 20 years ago. Of course, WCW was also a fucking mess and lost $60 million the year before they uh, got taken off TV. So there is that. AEW is consistently one of TNT's best shows. They chart in the top five of the demo most weeks. They're bordering on a million viewers a week. You know, more if you count DVR numbers. AEW is original weekly programming for TNT at a time when there is not a lot of that due to the pandemic. You know, they got the NBA back. But a lot of other things have been on hold. Wrestling never stopped. WWE continued. AEW continued. So there is value in that. Their pay-per-views apparently have performed very well on on BR Live, which is another Warner property. That's their streaming property. And keep this in mind, you know, this HBO Max launch has been said, from everything I've read about it, has said to be disappointing. Whatever the expectations were for HBO Max, I guess they have not really fully been met. It's been a little disappointing. That probably is why Riley and some of these other people got the axe this week. It had more to do with that than anything else. If that's the case, if HBO Max needs a boost, well, why not host AEW events on HBO Max instead of BR Live? Or have other... Maybe not the pay-per-views, but have other special shows a few times a year, AEW, on HBO Max. They could potentially tap into AEW to help out HBO Max, maybe drive a few new subscribers. So I think everybody needs to just calm down, take a breath. It's a concern, right, that, that, that one ally that you had in your corner is no longer there, but It's way too early to know if this is going to be another Jamie Kellner situation. Kellner being the one who ultimately put the nail in WCW's coffin. But WCW put a lot of nails in its own coffin long before Jamie Kellner did. And due to the NBA schedule, there will be some dynamite preemptions, which is actually terrible because here they are. Their their, their numbers are starting to go back up to pre-pandemic numbers. They're building a lot of momentum, putting on a lot of good TV. And when your schedule gets disrupted, that's not usually a good thing, right? Because people are creatures of habit. No matter how many times you tell them on Twitter or on TV, you flash a banner on the screen with flashing Christmas lights on it, where you're going to be preempted. Please tune into this network on this date. We're not going to be on next week. Invariably, the following Wednesday, people are going to click onto TNT and be like, where's AEW? It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And just to give you a a much smaller example, there have been times over the years, it hasn't happened recently, but there have been times over the years where, you know, this podcast, which has dropped, you know, on most Sundays going back to 2007, there have been the occasional sound offs that have dropped on a Saturday, 
or on another day if I was going to be away or on vacation or something. And I tell people at least a week, if not multiple weeks in advance, the sound off on this date is not going to drop on Sunday. It's going to drop a day earlier. It's going to drop midweek. And I can't tell you, even after all of that promotion, all the tweets, the tweets and the emails that come in on, on Sound Off Sunday, where's the podcast? I guess he's not podcasting this week. And I got to tell them all over again. People are creatures of habit. No matter how many times you tell them, they are creatures of habit. So at a time when they're building a lot of momentum to be shifted away from their normal time slot two weeks in a row uh, is not going to be a good thing. Wednesday, August 19th, that episode of Dynamite will not air on Wednesday, August 19th. Instead, it will air on Saturday, August 22nd at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Wednesday, August 26th, Dynamite will not air. It will instead air the next night, August 27th, at 8 p.m. Eastern. So this is even worse, right? Because... Like on the Saturday show, it's not even it's not even the normal time slot. So you know, again, that's that's problematic. So those two weeks, they're going to be uh, out of their usual slot. Then things go back to normal, but then they get preempted again on September sixteenth, and that episode will air the next night at eight p.m. Eastern. What that means is that I'm going to be going live for my NXT review for those three weeks instead. The NXT review will shift away from the Sunday show here for those weeks. I will be live on YouTube after NXT ends, talking about that show on YouTube instead. And the August 22nd stream, that's Saturday, August 22nd at 6 p.m. Eastern time for Dynamite is interesting because that is the night of NXT TakeOver 30. That is SummerSlam weekend. And so what that means is I will be going live after TakeOver for what will now be a hybrid stream, talking NXT TakeOver and... That night's AEW Dynamite. So it's going to be a hybrid stream. There is going to be a little bit of overlap. I think the second hour of Dynamite is going to overlap with the first hour of of TakeOver, but I'll figure something out. Uh, And we'll be live. We'll be live that night and the next night after SummerSlam. So you're going to get a lot more live Solomonster in the months of August and September. I hope you're ready. I hope you're subscribed. But the... uh, the bad news, if you can call it bad news, uh, was not limited just to the uh, TNT news. Sammy Guevara. Poor Sammy. Just came back. He was suspended for 30 days without pay for that dumb comment he made on a podcast a few years ago that the company was not aware of. They were blindsided when that clip started circulating. It was embarrassing. It was shameful. And he got punished. And then they just brought him back, what, a couple of weeks ago? And already he's back in some hot water. Matt Hardy came out for a promo on Dynamite Wednesday night. And Sammy Guevara came out and they brawled. And in the midst of this brawl, Sammy, they had a a, a spot planned with a steel chair. And Sammy, I guess, was going to throw this chair at Matt's head as Matt was laying on a table outside the ring. And Matt was going to put his hands up, I guess, and block it. I think that was the idea. Sammy, I guess, grabbed the wrong chair. It wasn't the, the the regular chair that they use, or maybe it wasn't gimmicked. And he threw it, and Matt got his hands up, but I guess not in time, and it split Matt open on the head. He needed 13 stitches in his head. It was a pretty nasty gash. There was blood everywhere. I mean, this guy was just leaking blood everywhere. And I guess the moment that Sammy got backstage, he got raked over the coals. He got raked over the coals for what happened. 
And I think it was, uh, was it Brian Alvarez who said he got a very stern talking to when he got to the back. There were a lot of people very upset at what happened. It's funny, I hear a very stern talking to, and I just picture like a father yelling at his son. <laughs> I don't know if it was Tony Khan who, who kind of laid down the law, if it was somebody else. Uh, but if that's what happened here, then plain and simple, Sammy fucked up. You know, if, if he did something he shouldn't have done or grabbed the wrong chair. Look, I think the whole, you shouldn't be throwing chairs at people's heads, period. The guy's laid out vertically or horizontally on a table, right? He's laid out horizontally. Why are you throwing a chair at the guy's head? If you want, place the chair flat over the guy's head. Knock him out so, you know, he's kind of loopy. And then put the chair across his face. And then do your little flip dive off the stage. Because then Matt can control that. I still think that would probably be dumb, though, to do a, you know, (laughs) a five or ten foot dive down onto a chair on someone's face. is probably not going to end well. Might knock out a few teeth. I mean, why take the risk of, of fucking up one of your pay-per-view matches at All Out? But can we not be throwing chairs at people's heads anymore? AEW does this a lot where they'll just throw the chair. I guess they think that's better because it's not a chair shot to the head where you're just bashing somebody in the head with a chair. But they throw chairs at people's heads and faces. Can we just fucking stop this shit already? Like, we, we don't have chair shots to the head anymore. We know that. So is this like their little way around that? Because to me, it doesn't really add anything to the matches. Let's just leave that alone. Let's leave that out. I think it's it's stupid to do anyway. But I guess Sammy got some heat when he got in the back. Which, just timing-wise, coming off of the suspension is probably not a good thing for him. Excalibur is not expected to be back on Dynamite doing commentary until August 27th. That's the second preempted episode that's airing on Thursday that week. Rachel Ellering is going to be making her AEW debut on Dark this Tuesday against Penelope Ford. We last saw her in NXT, so now she's going to get a look in AEW. I think that's another, you know, potentially a good pickup for their women's division if uh, they like what they see. You know, I said Ariane, the former Cameron from WWE, uh, said that her appearance there was one and done. She's not signed to a contract, doesn't sound like she's been offered one. Uh, Rachel Ellering, though, could be a good pickup for them. And before that, tomorrow on YouTube at 7 Eastern, it is week two of the Women's Tag Team Cup Tournament with the two final quarter-final round matches. They have not announced who the participants will be. They want to show them, I guess, drawing their colors in the back before the matches, I guess. And so that is your AEW update. NXT on USA. Dakota Kai is going to take over to challenge Io Shirai for the NXT Women's Championship after her win over Rhea Ripley on Wednesday. Rhea is rocking the blonde hair now, going for that Brigitte Nielsen look, I guess. The first time I saw the blonde hair, I gotta tell you, when I saw Rhea with the blonde hair on TV for the first time, I said, this woman is smart. She is getting ready for a move to Raw or SmackDown. She's basically saying, hi, Vince McMahon. (laughs) You know, pick me. Pick me. Then I'll get all the messages from people saying, yeah, but Bailey is the champion, and Asuka was the champion, and Sasha doesn't have blonde hair. That's true. That's true, but that does not ignore the trends and the patterns that we've seen before. If you want to get this man's attention, you go ahead and you put that blonde in your hair, and you see what happens. Uh, these two, though, had a very good opener, I thought. They realized what they have in Rhea. Clearly, she she should not be playing the babyface in peril, and she didn't. She dominated 
Dakota. Until late in the match, it was a run-in from Mercedes Martinez, a well-placed boot to Ripley's face that ultimately cost her the match. Afterwards, Martinez attacked Rhea, gave her an air raid crash. Rhea's nose got bloodied up in here somewhere. It is the revenge of the Robert Stone brand. He says that Rhea may be done with Robert Stone, but the Robert Stone brand is not yet done with Rhea. And so Rhea Ripley against Mercedes Martinez sounds like a great match to me. I can't wait to see it. Book it for TakeOver. I think the Robert Stone brand, though, needs one more member. Doesn't have to join right now. They just added, you know, Martinez. But I think they need one more member. They already have the ass kicker in, in Mercedes. But they've been featuring Indy Hartwell, I've noticed, more on TV of late. This week she lost in a squash to Tegan Knox. But she's a star on the rise, you know. I'd have Stone recruit her to complete the group. Get one more person in there. Right? The ass kicker. The rookie on the rise. Whatever Aaliyah is supposed to be. And then Robert Stone as the, as the manager, as the mouthpiece of the brand. Bronson Reed got a win over Shane Thorne, keeping the big man strong, heading into the North American title ladder match at TakeOver. This is how you get new stars over. It's the only way. It's the best way. Let them show off their moveset and win matches. Winning. Dominance. It's the best way to get somebody over. Speaking of the North American title, we had another triple threat qualifier, Damian Priest, Oni Lorkin, and Ridge Holland from NXT UK, the former rugby star, making his second ever appearance on NXT television. His first came two years ago under his real name, Luke Menzies, against Keith Lee. That is only, I would say, one or two times, probably, maybe three times that I've seen Menzies compete because I don't watch NXT UK week to week. The other time I saw him was against, oh God, I think I saw him in an NXT UK match against this guy, Jack, uh, oh boy, Jack Stars, some blonde haired guy. I think that was the uh, last time I would have seen him in action. This was probably months ago. So my exposure to him is limited, is the point of all this. And after this match, he didn't win, but I have a feeling that he's going to be winning a lot of matches in due time. It is scary. The vibes that he was giving off to me of 2002 Brock Lesnar when he first came to WWE. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The way he moves, the way he sells, his offense, his mannerisms, that raw power. He reminds me of a slightly smaller version of Brock Lesnar, of a younger Brock Lesnar. You'll you'll notice also that even though he didn't win, they protected him from taking the loss. He did not eat the pin. It was Oni Lorcan who took the losing fall from Damian Priest, who now goes on to take over 30. Uh, I enjoyed this more than I thought I would coming into it, you know, more because I didn't know what to expect from Holland, who, I mean, Holland was tossing both guys around left and right like they were nothing. He wrecked Oni Lorcan with a pounce at one point, hit a gut wrench power bomb to Damian Priest for a near fall. Damian Priest is no small man. I love that that sell by Holland on the chokeslam bomb from Priest. Priest then finished off Lorcan with the reckoning. Later in the show, William Regal, from his home with his grandfather clock in the background, which is exactly the sort of thing I would expect to see in William Regal's home, announced that Dexter Loomis suffered an ankle injury, winning his triple threat last week against Finn Balor and Timothy Thatcher. He does have an ankle injury. It is said to be legit, so he is out of the ladder match at TakeOver. 
which I guess, you know, it's a terrible match to be in if you have an ankle injury to be in a ladder match where you have to do a lot of climbing. So he's out of the match. Instead, since Johnny Gargano and Finn Balor each did not take the losing fall in their respective uh, qualifying matches, nor did Ridge Holland this past week, in two weeks, those three men and a fourth from the other qualifying match that has yet to take place, uh, I guess whoever takes uh, whoever does not take the losing fall in that qualifier, all of these men will face off in two singles matches in two weeks. And those two winners will then move on, I guess, to complete the bracket in the ladder match. I say bracket, it's not a tournament, but you know what I mean. To complete the match at TakeOver 30 for the North American title. And look, it's a tough break for Loomis, but they obviously like the guy. They see potential in him. I see potential in him. Uh, I think he's done a good job. It doesn't sound like a break. Hopefully it's not a serious injury. So I would expect him to be back fairly soon, and hopefully he doesn't lose any of the momentum that he's been uh, building up. Keith, Le- and by the way, what did I say last week? I have no idea if it has to do with this. Let me just say that. I don't know where the injury happened. Maybe it didn't happen in the match. Who knows? But what did I say last week when I mentioned that spot where he did the dive out of the ring and landed on his feet, and they did like a jump cut because he may not have landed. He may he may not have stuck the landing as good as it looked on TV. But he did that dive out of the ring. And I said, he doesn't need to be doing that because he's you're just begging for an injury to happen. And guess what? (laughs) Guess what? Here we are and Dexter Loomis is hurt. I don't know if it happened on that move or not. But I just got done talking about this last week. That is not a coincidence. He does not need to be doing moves like that. Save that for the smaller guys. That's their thing. Don't take that away from them. I don't want to see small guys in the ring doing big man power moves. What do you think you are, Crash Holly? Leave the power moves and stuff like that for the bigger guys and leave the flying and the dives and everything for the smaller guys. Because when the bigger guys start doing stuff like that, I mean, that's a lot of weight. He's 240, 250 pounds doing a dive like that, landing with all your weight on that on your ankles and your feet and your knees. You are begging for something bad to happen. And now look what happened. He's got an ankle injury. I'll bet anything it was on that spot. I'll bet anything it was on that spot. In fact, the fact that they had to edit that little camera cut in there tells me that maybe he didn't land uh, perfectly. And the reason he didn't land perfectly, maybe that's where he hurt the ankle. He rolled it, jammed it, bent it, whatever happened. And they had a cover for it with that little edit. I'd bet anything that's where the injury happened. Keith Lee got a win over Cameron Grimes in a match that was way more competitive than it should have been. I know they like Cameron Grimes, and he's a good wrestler and all that, but my God. Lee walked out, no smile on his face, all business. And and this is more than anything why it bothered me. I'm not saying that Cameron Grimes should be squashed on television just as as a general thing, but Keith Lee came out here. He was in no mood, right? With everything going on with Karrion Cross and everything that happened to Dominic Dijakovic, or Dijak as he called him, he came out, no smile, no laughing, no funny business, no smirk, all business. That and the fact that this guy is the NXT champion, it should not have taken him 12 minutes to beat Cameron Grimes. Lee caught Grimes on a flying crossbody. Grimes caught Lee with a a one-man Spanish fly. I always get confused when I see that. I never know who took the brunt of that move. 
<laughs> Until the guy goes for the pin, then I know who took the brunt of the move. Uh, but anyway, in the end, Lee hit the spirit bomb for the win. Karrion Cross was on the Tron after the match. He says the body count is going to continue to rise until Keith Lee gives him what he wants. This is on you, he said. And we see him choking out some random dude at the performance center. There's bodies laying around, bodies left in his wake. Keith Lee already agreed to the match. So I'm not really sure what the point of this was, unless the issue is that William Regal does not want it to be a championship match because maybe he feels he didn't earn it. It's still early, although he did beat Tommaso Ciampa, former NXT champion. So it's not all that unreasonable to argue that Karrion Cross should get a, a crack at the championship, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly uh, what the, what they're going for here. Maybe that's their uh, play. Maybe that's their way to do the match without beating Karrion Cross, but also without taking the title so soon off of Keith Lee, is to make the match non-title at TakeOver, which would be very lame. If you're a big 30th TakeOver show, TakeOver 30, to not have an NXT Championship match, to have a non-title match in the main event, I think would be lame. By the way, uh, former WWE announcer Hugo Savinovich, I have to mention this. This week, posted a video on Facebook claiming that Karrion Cross was once a real-life mercenary who was hired to do dirty jobs for the mafia. He was a hired murderer. He was a real-life hitman. He says he loves Cross and he loves Scarlet. He's good friends with them, both from their time in AAA. And he claimed that he would have an interview soon with Karrion Cross talking about his Difficult upbringing and going from real-life hitman to the face of NXT. And it wasn't long, I'd say about 24 hours or so, before Hugo posted a follow-up video to walk back those comments, or to clarify those comments. He claims he was misinterpreted. He blamed it on bad translation. He blamed it on bad reporting. Now he's claiming that he was referring to an old YouTube video online, which I watched from like, Six years ago, it was from 2014. It was a video, it was almost like something that you would see an independent wrestler make on their own. Very, you know, like an amateur type video. If you were portraying a Hitman-like character. That's what this was. This this felt like a reel of sorts for an independent wrestler on the rise. Uh, It was a video made to look like a news report on Kevin Cross, as he called himself back then. Portraying him as a bad apple who previously did jobs for the mob. They show him training in the gym. They interview his trainer. His trainer is talking about what a deplorable person he is. I guess Hugo thinks Cross should be portrayed as a hitman on TV, and he's worried the WWE might end up failing him creatively. Look, whenever I saw Killer Cross on Impact, I always thought he dressed like a hitman. For whatever reason, I always thought of Hitman Codename 47. That's what I always thought of when I saw him on TV. But, look, I mean, in NXT, of all the concerns I have for people right now in WWE, and generally speaking, like when they get called up and all that, you look at the run that Cross has had, this short run so far in NXT, they have rolled out the red carpet for him in Scarlet. So I think Hugo needs to uh, to chill, because for a couple of days this week, some people actually thought the man used to work for the mob. And clearly, Cross got a hold of him and asked him to clarify that. <laughs> he said that... He said at the end of the post that he talked to Cross and they're good. Yeah, I bet they talked. I bet he got a, a nice phone call or a nice text message 
from Karrion Cross after Cross started seeing items on wrestling news websites about the fact that he used to be a hired hitman for the mob. You said he fucking killed people for a living. And so what do you think people were going to think? Some people thought he was nuts. Other people ran with it. I mean, taking the name Killer Cross a little too literally is Hugo Savinovich. Leave the fake killings to Marty Jannetty. He's got that covered. Earlier in the day, Tyler Breeze and Fandango were on their way into the building when a car pulled up beside them, out jumped Legado del Fantasma, laid out Breeze, kidnapped Fandango, and drove off in their SUV. Not to be confused with Trent's mother's SUV that at the same exact time this was going on was being destroyed on the other channel. Is being defaced by Santana and Ortiz. Later on, they drag Fandango's body into the arena. Santos Escobar cuts what I thought was a very good promo as he's walking around the ring, looking at the fans behind the, the quote fans behind the plexiglass, talking about why Lucha Libre culture is so important. It's not some gimmick. And I love how he looked right at Eric Bugenhagen in the audience when he said that. Because Bugenhagen was acting all silly and air guitaring as he was saying it. And he just looked at him and says, it's not a gimmick to be exploited for merch money. I'd say Mr. Escobar is in the wrong company. If he doesn't want to be exploited for merch money, this is a company that made garden gnomes of some of their wrestlers. If he doesn't want to be exploited for merch money, he's in the wrong place. It's what they do. He was upset that Brizongo had mocked Lucha Libre in one of their recent entrances, which he said was like spitting in their face. And before they could beat him down, Tyler Breeze ran out. He was beaten down a second time. Escobar also issued a warning to Isaiah Swerve Scott. So that's the next Cruiserweight title match. Sounds like a good opener to me for TakeOver. You want to open with a hot match? There it is right there. And this is where Pat McAfee... Join Tom Phillips at the announce desk for the final two matches of the night. The first being the Tegan Knox squash over Indy Hartwell that I mentioned. Next week, it is another triple threat qualifier with Kushida, Cameron Grimes, and a mystery opponent. Damian Priest takes on Bronson Reed. Both have already qualified. And Danny Birch takes on Karrion Cross. It's too bad Birch isn't a bigger star. Or a more charismatic guy. If he was, he could have shirts and stuff on TV as Danny Merch. That's a bad joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The dad jokes. I'm not a dad, but, you know, the dad used to be a cat dad. But the dad jokes come out every now and then. They're bad. I'm sorry. Just, you know. Gotta lighten the mood a little bit, you know? Come on. Danny Merch. You gotta say, that's a money gimmick right there, right? Danny, It's like Danny Deals on NWA Power. Anyway, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly against Imperium for the NXT Tag Team titles. Match was good, but these guys are are capable of more. It wasn't about the match. The match was a backdrop for the big angle. Pat McAfee was on commentary. After being invited to Full Sail, after seemingly burying the hatchet with Adam Cole, after Adam Cole had that big blow-up on McAfee's show a couple of weeks ago and stormed off and cussed him out and broke a microphone and shoved one of his producers. And I talked at length about how and when I knew it was a work. 
Because some people thought, maybe it's not a work. He cursed. He dropped some F-bombs. Yeah, of course he did, because they wanted you to think it was real. (laughs) So what do you do? You do the one thing that you're not allowed to do on WWE television. It was well done, but it was I thought it was very obvious. I was kind of shocked how many people actually thought it was real. But I guess that's a sign that they, they did a very good job with this. Anyway, he was invited to come to NXT. Now, little did, it, little did I know that he apparently buried the hatchet in uh, Adam Cole's back because he spent the entire match cracking short jokes about Adam Cole. He was poking the bear. Now, all the while, Adam Cole was ringside rooting on for his, you know, his friends. He could hear everything that McAfee was saying. So finally, he had heard enough. He had heard enough of the jokes. And he went over to confront him. And he said, hey, what the hell? I thought we were cool. What's your problem, man? I could hear everything you're saying. Told him to knock it off with the jokes. And that's when McAfee called Cole an angry elf. And Cole lost his shit. He walked back to the desk. He grabbed a bottle of water. He splashed it in McAfee's face. Roderick Strong was restraining Adam Cole. Shawn Michaels and Triple H came out to try to defuse the situation. Meanwhile, there's a tag team championship match going on in the ring. You would never know. Kyle O'Reilly was distracted by everything that was going on. He got knocked out of the ring. And Bobby Fish took the European bomb for the finish. Marcel Bartel covers Fish. And they retain the tag team titles. Imperium still has the gold. McAfee was starting to leave. But then he turned back around. He had one more thing to say to Adam Cole. And he told Cole that for the rest of your life, Nothing is going to change the fact that you will be a teeny, itty-bitty, short, little bitch. And Cole lunged at him. He was on top of the announce desk being restrained. Kept yelling that he was going to kill McAfee. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Again, please, can we leave that to Marty Jannetty? And as he was being restrained, McAfee took advantage. He walked over and he kicked him in the head. And Cole took a face-first bump flat down on the ground. Triple H shoved McAfee backwards as he exited through the back doors. He was healing it up. He was saying, very unprofessional place you guys have here. As he walked out of the building. As uh, Shawn Michaels knelt down over mini Shawn Michaels. And asked Triple H if they were going to get a doctor to come out and help him. This was the big angle to set up a match at TakeOver. It is now official. Triple H appeared on ESPN. He challenged McAfee to step into the ring with Adam Cole. And McAfee later on posted a video accepting that challenge. Here's my take on all of this. And look, you're going to have people who blindly love it. Oh, it's so cool. They're getting publicity. And on the other side, you're going to have people... And other, you know, shows and whatnot who probably just shit on it and want to talk about, oh, it's going to kill the entire brand. You don't need any of that noise. There are pros and there are cons. And I'm going to lay them out for you right now. The positives to this, as I see it, McAfee is a good heel. He is. He is annoying enough that you want to see him get punched in the face. He's got a way of getting under people's skin, like a tick. And he can talk. The Tick can talk. He knows how to stir the pot. So that's one plus. The other positive is only a positive if this is the plan. And that is, if they're using this as an angle, not so much just to do Pat McAfee against Adam Cole, 
I mean, the match is almost just incidental. If the real reason for doing this is to lead to the dissolution of Undisputed Era, and Roddy, Fish, O'Reilly, they all end up turning on Cole, and end up turning him babyface. You know, because they're, they're sick and tired of playing second fiddle, and paying for his mistakes. Cole walking over to Pat McAfee during that main event is what cost Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly the tag team titles. He cost them the match by doing that because of that distraction. He was selfish. You know, remember, he got on McAfee's show and the reason that he got hot on McAfee's show was when Pat talked about him relying on UE to help fight his battles for him and win his matches. He didn't like that. He said, I don't need anybody's help. So if the idea is to build to a big UE breakup where they all get F, you know, fed up with Cole and they kick him out of the group. You know, Adam Cole's been kicked out of factions before. Literally kicked. Super kicked, in fact. Out of factions. If it's storyline advancement, that's a good thing. It gets them from point A to point B. If there's a method to the madness, which I trust is the case more often than not with NXT than I do Raw and SmackDown. With Raw and SmackDown, it's just madness without the method. <laughs> There's rarely any method to it. It's the ma- it's the madness of one person. The negatives of this, to me, are obvious. Pat McAfee may be considered a celebrity by some, and, and WWE loves their celebrities, but he was a punt kicker in the NFL on the same team in one media market for seven years. And by all accounts, he was very good at his job. He even got into the Guinness Book of World Records for kicking a 40-yard field goal while he was blindfolded. So he's a great kicker. But he was a kicker for seven years and then an analyst. He's a charismatic guy, but he's not a celebrity that's going to really mean anything to business. He's not going to move the needle. You know, Mike Tyson 22 years ago meant something to business. Floyd Mayweather kind of meant something to business. Not nearly as much as they hoped he would, but, you know, a little bit. WCW brought in Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone, and they meant something to business even today. If AEW was to bring back Mike Tyson like I, they, they still supposedly want to at some point to do a match or a fight with Chris Jericho, it could mean something for business. The general population, I don't think they know or probably much care who Pat McAfee is. So it's cool that ESPN is having Triple H on to make announcements about takeover matches. I can't see it making much of a difference, though, business-wise for him. And the outcome here, if it's just a straight-up match, and not really a means to do much more than that, the outcome benefits absolutely no one. If McAfee wins, then he just beat the longest-reigning NXT champion of all time. He made Adam Cole look like a little punk bitch. And if Cole wins, well, then so what? He should win. If he wins, he beats some obnoxious, loudmouth radio host, podcast host, who he should be able to beat in about 30 seconds. It would be like me going and challenging Adam Cole to a match. If Adam Cole beats me, is that some big achievement for Adam Cole? Now, I think I could hold my own for a few minutes against Adam Cole. But yes, Adam Cole should be beating me. Adam Cole should be beating Pat McAfee. But who does that benefit? I mean, who does that benefit? Nobody. It benefits nobody. And the other negative to this, and this is no small thing, is the size issue. They have Pat McAfee openly mocking Adam Cole's height on TV. 
after openly mocking Adam Cole's size on his own show. Now he's doing it on Adam Cole's show. They're drawing attention to the one thing that we know that WWE hates about Adam Cole, which is his size, or lack thereof. How do we know this? They already doctor his height and weight on TV to make him seem bigger than he really is. It's laughable when they put those numbers up, when they do the tail of the tape stuff, like they did a few weeks ago for the winner-take-all match. It's comical. I've been to Ring of Honor shows as recently as, as three years ago, standing five feet away from Adam Cole. Of course, those WWE numbers are exaggerated. You need to get your eyes checked if you think otherwise. You need to have your license revoked. I don't want to share the same road with you if you can't see that with your own two eyes. So there's that. We had Road Dog on Corey Graves' podcast a few weeks ago, one of the head executives behind the scenes at NXT, openly admitting that if Adam Cole was the size of a carrying cross, he would be the universal champion right now on, on SmackDown. Or he'd be the champion on Raw. His size is clearly something that he is going to have to work against when he hits Raw or SmackDown. Why would you draw more attention to it on TV? Even if Cole wins in the end, why would you draw attention to the one thing that people can point to as his Achilles heel? This is the guy who held your top championship in this brand for over a year. And now you're going to bring in a retired football player to call him an angry elf on TV? I laughed at the line when he said it. I admit it. I laughed when he called him an angry elf. And then when he called him an angry elf, what happened? We saw Adam Cole get really upset and really angry. And I thought, he's right. He really is an angry little elf. That's terrible. <laughs> the fact that I thought that is terrible. Especially because he's a, I guess he's supposed to be the babyface in all this. Adam Cole is. That's the kind of shit that follows you around. Like this, this shorty G bullshit. All for what? To get yourself some Zoom time on ESPN for a few minutes? So I don't like that. I don't like that it's devolved into a story about Adam Cole being overly sensitive to the fact that he's a lot smaller than other people in that position would be. And and people telling short jokes on TV. When the story could just be, you know, just as easily, the story could have been Pat McAfee has been getting under Adam Cole's skin for months, which he has been. This is almost like a long-term story that they've developed here. He's just an annoying guy who has gotten under Adam Cole's skin for far too long. And he went one comment too far when he made it, when he questioned the guy's toughness. You can question his toughness without questioning his size or his height. That's all you had to do. You get to the same place. So those are the pros and cons as I see them. I thought the pull-apart was well done. The guy was a professional kicker for a living, so him knocking out Adam Cole with a kick that he got blindsided by is fine. You could have told the story of a UE breakup in a lot of different ways. It could have led to a match maybe between Cole and Roddy at TakeOver, but I guess they wouldn't have gotten on ESPN with that. So that's why they didn't do it. I, I think the match itself could be entertaining. I'm keeping an open mind to the match. McAfee's a fan. He knows how to get heel heat. He knows how to heal it up. And I hope Cole can come out of this as a strong babyface, which clearly is the idea because McAfee was out there acting like a complete dick. And if this was in front of a live audience, especially that full sale crowd, he'd have been booed out of the building. I just think it's counterproductive to make his size a part of the story when it's clearly a sore spot. RSPW Rewind is going to video for at least one week only. We're going to wrap up here with some mailbag questions, but I don't want to delay it any longer. So we're doing uh, RSPW Rewind a little bit different this week. 
It will be YouTube only, on video. Otherwise, same RSPW as you've uh, come to know and love. And that should be going up in the next couple of days. So if you are not subbed to the YouTube channel, now would be a good time to go there. But you'll see it pop up uh, probably in the next couple of days. And right now, that's just a one-week thing, but who knows? Who knows? That could become the new format for it. So again, for those of you looking for RSPW Rewind, that will be the place to find it uh, a little bit later on this week. All right, so mailbag time. Let's take a few questions. You could always email me, thesolomonster at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you are from. When you write into the show, uh, we have here this first question from Marco in Seattle, Washington. Have you gotten a chance to listen to any of EC3's interviews from the past number of weeks, including his interview on Talk is Jericho? If so, your thoughts on some of the things that were mentioned, including Vince McMahon flat out ordering him not to talk and calling him too over the top. Yeah, I heard that, and it really, to me, is the perfect example of what everybody talks about all the time. And why it is an uphill battle for some of these newer guys to get over in that company. Not impossible. Some can overcome it. But when you tell somebody like EC3, based on one promo of his that you saw, that you're a little too over the top. So let's go a different way. When you tell him that I want you to talk like a weatherman in your promos, which is what EC3 claims Vince McMahon said to him in in their meeting, then you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. If that's your advice for somebody like EC3, talk more like a weatherman. Where does he come up with this shit? I'm surprised we haven't had a weatherman gimmick in WWE. We've had garbage men, we've had dentists, we've had hockey players, we've had plumbers. We've had all kinds of gimmicks. Never had a weatherman. There's a lot of potential there, right? Storm, a storm's a coming. Gonna hit you with a lightning bolt. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of really corny things you could do. They could. I'm surprised they didn't give him that gimmick. It could have been Weatherman EC3. And you know what? Some guys are talented enough where they could have gotten that gimmick over. But he wanted him to talk like a weatherman, whatever the fuck that means. You know, even to hear him talk about his call-up to the main roster, there was no purpose behind it. He said there was no purpose behind it, and he's right. He was one of the names who got called up when the McMahons all stood in the ring and said, we're going to shake things up, we're going to give you what you want to see. Remember that? Remember that moment? I think it was uh, December of 2018, if I'm not mistaken. They called up six names from NXT, and EC3 was one of them. Heavy Machinery was on that list, Lacey Evans was on that list, Lars Sullivan was on that list, I forgot the others. And EC3 said he was on injured reserve at the time from a bad concussion. And then he found out he was getting called up. And he thought, well, that's strange. But he got called up because they were panicked. That's why he got called up. They made a promise that they were going to have new faces on the show. So they just called a bunch of random people up. Now, maybe one or two of them they were thinking of calling up anyway. But it felt completely random. And I don't like that anyway when they called six people up at once because... You know, you got to shine some of that spotlight on, on the individual people. That's why when you call somebody up and you give them weeks of vignettes, or if it's a big surprise debut or something, it has more impact. When you just call randomly call six people up at once, it doesn't pack a punch. It doesn't really have as much of an impact. 
I mean, no pun intended, even though we're talking about EC3 here. But, you know, he said he got called up and there was no rhyme or reason for it. But they were panicked. They were panicked because the ratings were in free fall. Compared to now, they would take those numbers back in a heartbeat. If only they knew. Vince McMahon didn't even know who he was. One of the writers was showing him a tape of Impact Wrestling. And oh, how I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during that creative meeting. Showing Vince McMahon a tape of Impact Wrestling. But I guess one of the writers was showing him a a tape or a DVD or whatever. And Vince saw EC3 walk out and he said, That guy, he looks good. We should get him. He didn't even know that the guy had previously worked for him once before. (laughs) He didn't know what his in-ring work was like. I guess he didn't know about his promos. He just saw that he had a good look. He had abs. He had muscles. He was tan. Let's get that guy. Didn't even know that he worked for him once before. And look, I don't expect Vince McMahon to watch Impact. I don't expect Vince McMahon to watch AEW. I don't expect Vince McMahon to watch Ring of Honor or Lucha Underground, you know, back then. And know who all of these people are at all times. That's above his pay grade at this point. When the company was smaller, maybe. But even then, he had Jim Ross and Jerry Briscoe, Bruce Pritchard. He had lieutenants in his orbit who could do that work for him and can bring him scouting reports. Same thing today. It's it's beneath him. I don't expect him to be the one out there knowing everybody and who they are. But, you know, I mean, he has people under him uh, who can tell him about these things, strengths and weaknesses and things of that nature. EC3 is not a flashy wrestler. He's not known for his great in-ring work. Not that he can't work, but he's not that kind of wrestler where, oh, he's known for his in-ring prowess. He got over on his charisma and his promo work. That's how he got over. So to turn around and debut him as this flexing mute, remember they wouldn't let him speak? That was their great plan for EC3. We're not going to let him speak. He's going to flex and pose in front of a mirror. Like he's the narcissist. When that's your great idea for EC3, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. That is an indictment on you, not on him. So yeah, I heard what he had to say. I heard what he had to say, and it pretty much verified everything I already knew. Joseph, from Silsby, Texas. I was re-watching the Royal Rumble 2020. Saw when Keith Lee and Brock Lesnar faced off briefly. Whenever Brock decides to come back, could a Keith Lee-Brock Lesnar program be in the works? And do you think it should be for a world title with Brock as champion and dropping the belt to Lee? No, I don't think you got to put the belt back on Brock. Um, I mean, maybe if you're looking years down the road, Brock could be champion again and then at that point, maybe Keith Lee beats him for the belt. Uh, no. No, I don't I don't see that being the case anytime soon. Uh, I don't see Keith Lee go, getting called up so quickly necessarily either, unless he drops it to Karrion Cross because they're going to call him up in the next month or two. But I haven't I haven't you know, heard anything about that. There's always rumors about people being called up, and a lot of times it does end up happening. I've heard nothing like that about Keith Lee. And they just put the championship on him. I'd give him a, a solid run with it first. But could Keith Lee and Brock Lesnar be a match? Could it be a program at some point? Yeah, I think it could. It got a great reaction in in that giant stadium at the Rumble. It was a great moment. Even Brock. Brock's face was priceless when Keith Lee came out. (laughs) That look on his face. He's like, oh, he looks over at Heyman like, this is a big boy. 
And I thought that they they put him over well. You know, he knocked down Lesnar. It was good. It was a good moment for him in the Rumble. Uh, I would like to see that match at some point. Brian from Orlando. In professional sports, normally guys are not happy unless they have long-term deals, usually five years and up. Well, yeah, that's 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 been an albatross for a lot of uh, baseball teams, let me tell you. But for WWE, it seems like wrestlers are more comfortable now taking a short-term deal instead of a long-term deal. Usually the company tries to sign guys for the longer term, but wrestlers are quick now to turn that down. Why do you think most WWE wrestlers are comfortable with a shorter deal? Well, first of all, uh, you don't know that most WWE stars turn down longer-term deals. You don't know that. I don't know that. Some do. Some have talked about it. But it looks to me like the majority do what they're asked. And they sign the longer-term deals when they come up. A lot of them fall in line like good little soldiers, and they take what's given to them, and and that's it. It seems to me that's the majority of what happens. But some people do turn them down, or they want a shorter deal. Look, Sasha Banks came back, and she took a shorter deal. Rey Mysterio is reportedly signing for a longer deal than the one he signed when he first came back, but still... He's not reportedly signing the five-year long-term deal that they like to sign most guys to. And the reason is obvious. They don't want to be tied down to one company for too long. And especially, you know, with WWE, they don't want to sign five-year contracts and sign their life away with no guarantee that the company is going to use them the way that they feel they should be utilized. And then they're left miserable, counting down the days until they're free. Or you could take the company to court. Challenge the contract. But who wants to do that? Who wants to spend that kind of money? Who wants to make enemies of people in the company they work for by suing them? So you got to be real careful when you put your name down on that contract, especially if it's a long-term deal. I don't care for how much money. you got to ask yourself, is this the place that I want to be for the next three, four, five years? And if the money is good enough, then the answer is probably yes. But that's a real question that some people have to ask themselves. And in some cases, yeah, they say, you know what? I don't want to do that. The fact that those people are leaving money on the table by doing that, I think, should tell you something. And now with AEW, as another company paying big money, it's smarter to play one against the other. It's just smart business. Play one side against the other. If you're a big enough name, why not? Maybe Heath Slater couldn't do that, but Randy Orton did. And he got a hell of a deal out of it. Chase from Rapid City, South Dakota. Do you think AEW is focusing on too many legends in managerial roles? You have Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Vicky Guerrero, Taz, Jake the Snake, and Dustin Rhodes to an extent. Is that too many? When does it become overkill? I think they're right at that point where it's starting to uh, potentially become overkill. I think they have a good number now. They should just stop for the time being. And you can always rotate them out and bring new ones in down the road, but I think they have a good enough number right now. I'd say they're already there. They're already at the point where if they add any more, it's going to be overkill. They're going to have more managers than they have talent soon if they keep adding names. Uh, This is from Jake. I've enjoyed your coverage of pro wrestling immensely. You inspired me to subscribe to the WWE Network after you mentioned that you had been watching classic episodes of WWF Superstars. I myself have begun watching Monday Night Raw from its opening episode as well as the pay-per-views. I recently finished watching WrestleMania 9, which brings me to my point. I've heard through the years that there had been talk of a passing-the-torch moment 
or match between Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan, and that Hogan nixed the idea. Why couldn't WWE have booked a program between Macho Man Randy Savage and the Hitman? Savage had just won an excellent match against Ric Flair the year before, so why not do that match instead? Because that wasn't the plan. I think the idea was, if anything, the idea was Hogan and Bret. Hogan is a bigger star than Macho Man. You know, Hogan Hogan had just been brought back to the company. And Hogan maybe didn't have the kind of drawing power he had years earlier. He wasn't as big of a star. He wasn't physically as big as he used to be, but neither was Savage. Uh, Both guys were older, but, you know, Hogan was the bigger name. So if they felt that they can bring Hogan back and really give business a jolt because business was not booming at that point, it really wasn't. And that included during Macho Man's run as the champion. Business was not great. In 92 into 93, it was kind of the dark days of the company. And I think probably around the time also that they had the government starting to really breathe down their neck as well. So the bigger match would have been Bret Hart against Hulk Hogan. You know, bottom line, that would have been the bigger match. I don't think they viewed Macho Man and Bret Hart as a big enough match. Then you had Yokozuna, who they wanted to build around maybe as their to- their new top heel. So they wanted him involved in that. And it was a great way to get him over. You know, for his career, it was great. He was only in the company on TV for a few months. And then he won the Royal Rumble. And he went to the main event of WrestleMania. And he won the championship. You know, his rise, he had one of the better rookie years in the history of that company. So I think Bret Hart and Macho Man could have had a a very good match at WrestleMania. It it would have been a kind of passing of the torch moment. I think part of the problem also, though, and this is why they wanted the belt off Randy Savage and they wanted the belt off Ric Flair. The heat was coming down. In the fall of 92, the, the heat was coming down on the steroid stuff. They wanted that championship on a guy who they could point to as a guy who was not on steroids. Bret Hart admits he was on steroids, although at that point he probably wasn't. You could kind of watch Bret in like the mid to late 80s and see when he was on something. Uh, In 92, it really didn't look like it. So they wanted the older guard and the older names and people who may have been associated with that kind of stuff. They just wanted somebody fresh and new and safe and clean in that spot. White meat baby face, WWF champion. Brett was their pick. Remember the, the the story? They had a list of five names. And I don't know all five names that were on there, but supposedly Tito Santana was one of those names. He came very close to getting a run as the WWF champion. I mean, Tatanka may have been on that list. Undertaker, I don't, I don't know all the names. But Brett got the nod. He was that new guy, the, the safe pick. They could build around him. Or at least build him up enough to where they can get a guy like a Yokozuna over as a monster heel. And then Brett could drop the belt to him. Doing the match with Savage just to get Brett over and anoint him was not their priority. They could have done it in the, the following summer. But for WrestleMania, that wasn't their priority. You know, And Brett was probably told a lot of things. I mean, he was under the impression that the Ultimate Warrior at the Royal Rumble was going to put him over. I mean, think about how laughable that is. If the Ultimate Warrior had not gotten fired... In October or November, whatever it was. The thought that he was not only going to wrestle Bret Hart at the Royal Rumble. Not even WrestleMania. He was going to wrestle him at the Royal Rumble, I think was the plan, supposedly. And do the job to Bret Hart. I mean, can you even imagine? I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine a, like a a finish like the one with Hogan and Warrior. WrestleMania 6, where like Warrior kicks out right at the 3. It was like almost like a fluky finish. 
Because there's no way in hell Warrior would have submitted to the sharpshooter, right? I mean, that just wasn't going to happen. I mean, baby faces in general didn't submit. I mean, John Cena, once he got that big baby face push, it was his whole gimmick. Never give up. We never saw him, we never saw him give up. That's just the Vince McMahon thing. But it, it just, the timing wasn't right. It wasn't what they had wanted to do. Uh, would that have helped Brett's career? Sure. It would have been a big moment for him. But you know what would have been bigger? Having him beat Hulk Hogan. There was no greater victory that Bret Hart could have gotten that year than a win over Hulk Hogan. Just wasn't their plan. Wasn't their plan. They were hoping business would boom again with Hulk Hogan being brought back. And they had him on that European tour. You know, King of the Ring was not his final date. That was his final televised date. But he wrestled many, many more matches all all over Europe in the month of July into August. A lot of uh, disqualification finishes, him and Yokozuna. I think the last match Hogan ever had from that run was in Sheffield, England, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't come back to the company for another nine years. But that would have been the match to do. That would have been a huge SummerSlam main event in 93. Gigantic. And you know what? Hogan, for whatever reasons he would have had to not want to lose to Brad, he's small, he's a tag team guy, he's not a big star. It would have done wonders for Brett's career. It would not have hurt Hogan one iota. It would not have changed the fact that Hogan is still the biggest name in the history of the business. Big, you know, just the biggest name you could think of. This legendary figure, future Hall of Famer. It wouldn't have changed any of that. But uh, that wasn't in that wasn't in his Best interests, brother. So it never happened. And uh, Sherrod from Dallas. What did you think of the matches that Ultimate Warrior and Rick Rude had in 1989 and 1990? Did you prefer the 89 matches? Uh, that being WrestleMania five and SummerSlam for the Intercontinental Championship. Or did you prefer the 1990 matches from Saturday Night's Main Event and SummerSlam for the WWF Championship? Which one of the four matches was your favorite? Of those four matches, my favorite was the SummerSlam 89 match for the IC belt. I love that match. I love the commentary for that match. I love Jesse Ventura reaming Tony Schiavone at one point for just blatant favoritism for the babyface. I just loved it. And I thought it was their best match, honestly. I thought that was their best match, the match where Warrior won the belt back. Uh, I, I don't like their WrestleMania 5 match. I've never liked that match. I just, I didn't think it was that good. I thought it was boring. Uh, the matches in 90 were good, though. So in terms of, like, taking the two matches together, they probably had the better series of matches in 90 for the WWF title. Uh, I remember that Saturday Night's Main Event show because that was their Wild Kingdom-themed episode. There is a great, great, underrated in that it's not talked about enough. Uh, Intercontinental Championship match on that show between Mr. Perfect and Tito Santana that if you've never seen, you've got to see it. I mean, even even the crowd is, it's just such a, a great, just big match feel with those two guys. A match that you never would have expected to have that kind of feel. And on that show, they did Warrior and Rude. That led to the cage match at SummerSlam. So that was the better series of matches, but the the best match they had, I think, and my favorite was the SummerSlam 89 match. They work well together. Rude, Rude was Rude was probably Warrior's best opponent. 
He had great matches. Warrior did with Randy Savage. Their WrestleMania 7 match is an all-time classic. Their SummerSlam match from 92, which just aired on FS1 a week or two ago, uh, was also very good. Not as good as their WrestleMania match, but it was very good. Savage is up there as one of Warrior's best opponents, but I, I probably would do Rude 1, Savage 2, just in terms of chemistry together. Uh, but they're neck and neck. But uh, easily the, the best opponents you know Warrior ever had. And they made Warrior look great. You know, they were better wrestlers than Warrior. Warrior held up his own. But to me, he never looked as good as he looked in, in the ring with those guys. And then probably the match with Hogan. And WrestleMania 6. And those those are the best matches he ever had. And this email from Jackson in Morton, Illinois. Not sure if you get notifications on promo codes, but I finally decided to give Manscaped a try. And threw in your old promo code, and it still worked. Thanks for the savings and doing what you do. Well, that's good to know. I wasn't sure if it was still active or not. Uh, but I guess, you know, Solomonster is, is the code. You know, we wound down with Manscaped right around the time this pandemic stuff started. So, hey, if you use the code, uh, not only can you get a discount, but you'd be helping the podcast out potentially. Maybe we can uh, get their attention and get back on board with Manscaped if enough people use it. So, anyway, that's that's cool to know. I'm glad you're able to save. Keep emailing me your questions, thesolomonster at gmail.com. I will either use them here on the podcast at some point or uh, for my next video mailbag which is coming very soon on YouTube. Uh, that is if I don't reply to you directly. But I do read everything you send me, so by all means, please uh, send me all questions and comments and feedback to thesolomonster at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Solomonster. Again, subscribe on YouTube. Type in Solomonster Sounds Off. You'll see the logo for the official YouTube channel. We're up over 58,000 subs, so you'll know that's the official channel. And I am planning on getting that RSPW Rewind video segment up in the next few days. So that is where you will be able to find that. It is YouTube exclusive this week. At least this week only. I'll be back with you for episode 665 next Sunday. Right here on uh, whatever platform or app you are listening to. And always remember, because I'll get occasional messages from people telling me that they... You know, didn't get it in iTunes or it skipped. Sometimes there's like audio skips, but it's weird. Like there'll be skips, but not in every platform. So it's it's not me. It's somewhere as it's being pushed out, those things occasionally happen. If you're having issues on one platform, it's the reason why I get it out to as many as I can. You know, you can listen to this show on dozens of different platforms. And more to come, by the way, because uh, I've just applied to have the show... Uh, added to some other big platforms in the near future as well, uh, including Radio.com, which is not official yet, but it may happen soon. So there's a lot of places for you uh, to get the show. Podbean through the app, of course, iTunes, Stitcher. Try to show us some love on Stitcher. I always neglect to mention Stitcher. We used to be at the top of the sports charts, but I never mention it anymore, so people don't use it. But Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Audio boom. I mean, just always, please. If you ever have any issues, you can always get the show somewhere else. I got you covered. And I appreciate the hell out of all of your support, all the PayPals, all the super chats, even just the nice messages. I appreciate it all. And I will see you back here next Sunday and again for the usual live streaming on YouTube this week. So until then, take care, guys. Have a great week. 
Little. The Salamonster sounds off. Viking Raiders. Driving in their car while Ivar chowed down on a giant drumstick. Because I guess to WWE, that's what all Vikings do. I ordered Popeyes the other day. I don't want a wing. You know, breasts are good too. Nothing wrong with breasts. But the drumsticks are where it's at. I chowed down on a nice drumstick from Popeyes the other day. Does that make me a Viking too? The Salamonster Sounds Off. Available wherever you hear podcasts, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and now Pandora. Want more content? Visit YouTube.com slash The Salamonster for sound off extras and more. And follow The Salamonster on Twitter at Salamonster. 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 Put that cigarette out. Salamonster Sounds Off.